0: Welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. God, I almost said the old name again, Ross. We were talking about this the other day. But how are you doing, buddy? You know, it's
1: it's just gonna take a while. It's like when when the new year happens and you keep writing the old year's date. I, I guess it, we just don't write dates nearly as often as we used to. I just think you about like school. Yeah, I just I'm thinking about when I was in school. Like school assignments in the first two weeks yeah. of January were always marked with the previous year.
0: Yeah, so, I, I like, with my job that I had last year, I, I was supposed to say I would write stuff every now and then, we'd sign a lot of documents and stuff, and they, they made us be really diligent about writing out 2020 last year instead of writing just 20, because it became easily forgeable, like, or not forgeable, what's the right word I'm looking for here, you could, you know, put, like, 2019 U- or U- something. Alterable? Really. Yeah, alterable, there we go, you could, you could change the year too easily, so they're like, make sure you write out the full year here, you know, and stuff, so I'm like, oh, okay, so, like, maybe I didn't have it as much last year my
1: understanding is that was also the impetus for the introduction of the dollar sign it was so that you know, like there you can slip in extra numbers on a ledger
0: yeah but you put the dollar sign behind it then like yeah hmm. okay
1: hmm. i'm not sure if that's right there there are things there are weird like historical stories in my head and like i'm sure like 40% of them are apocryphal but for some reason that's just a thing that i think is true but you know decent chance it's not don't don't hold me to
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Speaking of other random things that aren't magic related that we'd like to talk about before the show, a few crazy th- things and sad things and stuff have happened over the last you know week, week and a half since we've recorded because we've been waiting you know, to where we both have time to record this episode, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but uh, James Harden is no longer a member of the Rockets, and that's something that was uh, definitely a true uh, the last time we recorded um, one of these shows. That, one of that the, was um,
1: inevitable, to, though. We all inevitable. know it was coming sooner or later, and eventually, you know, James Harden you know, decided that it's going to be now. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 because he, he's one of the players that, you know, We you and I have talked about this, I feel like NBA players might have a little bit too much power, the the, the upper echelon ones. You know, I feel like LeBron and the, those types can just do whatever the hell they want, and it's kind of annoying in some ways, but like, whatever. You know, I'd rather I, I, players I, have yeah, more power. Yeah, exactly. I'd
1: rather them yeah. have the power
0: than the yeah. teams have all the power. 100% agree. But it it's still kind of crazy to me, you know, that like he got traded where he wanted to get traded to like uh, they still got some a decent talent in the trade because you know sports back in the day when players wanted out and if, if they if the team found out where they wanted to go they just wouldn't trade them there out of spite you know they'd be like yeah well fuck you you're like you're not going where you want to go you're going to go somewhere else like we're going to trade you some bottom feeder or something you know like you know kind of thing staple a flag to your butt mail you to iran there's a lot to talk about this besides just that and like is it, you know we don't have to go super deep on talking but i'm saying it's it's one of the biggest trades of all time in ba because this is one of the better players to ever be traded like period You know, it's like when you think about your pure talent. You know, like players players of the quality of James Harden don't get traded very often in their careers.
1: I I would say the AD trade might even be bigger just because he's like six
0: years younger. Because he's younger, yeah, yeah, of course. It's and it's another similar situation, right? Like he's in a market where uh, they did everything they could. Uh, you know, believe me, I know this isn't the first time <laughs> we had Chris Paul before we had AD in, in New Orleans and oh, yeah. we can keep our superstars now there for a while and see if we can actually grow something. But it makes sense. You know, it sucks from a fan's perspective, but like they did everything they could to keep the player. It didn't work out, which sucks for Houston because like now they're like, well, now we're sitting here holding, you know, everything else. And we've traded away a lot of them. which I think they did a decent enough job in like a getting players and resources back in some of the moves they've made. So they're not like dead in the water for the next seven years like we've seen some teams do like in brooklyn before and well, stuff but
1: i think houston is gonna be dead in the water because their owner sucks but that's a separate thing and yeah i imagine that's part of what what led to the situation becoming untenable between the the organization and harden uh so i i think they're kind of fucked because their new owner is just cheap as shit and doesn't give a fuck so uh but you know Big trade. I think it's really funny that they've the Nets have started losing two games in a row to the Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> you know they they cannot defend.
0: It's so funny too. Yeah, like because because you're it, it's funny because they're like the antithesis of each other, right? Like you, when you think of the Nets now, you think this team's gonna score 130 points a game, but they're gonna give up 115 because like they can't defend. But then you go to you go to Cleveland, who's like the number one or number two ranked defensive team in the league, depending on what stats you look at, and you know if you take away garbage time, et cetera, et cetera, and they just cannot score. And they put up like 135 points a game against New Jersey. It was
1: 147 in double overtime, but it was in that game it was 113 in regulation. And then in the second game, they gave up 125 in a standard regulation game. I just
0: said so, a big number. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know if it was literally 135, but you get what I'm saying. They're, they're, they're giving up a ton of points. Th-
1: those numbers are large, but not completely outlandish. They become outlandish when you consider that before those two games, Cleveland was actually dead last in offensive rating. And now they are 29th because of those two games. They've moved up a spot.
0: <laughs> so here, here's the crazy thing this, this is how much i believed in uh those stats and how little i believe in the fact that new jersey can stop anyone i'm sorry uh brooklyn i, I it's like the name change it's the name change the color again though i don't think brooklyn can stop anyone in my fantasy basketball leagues i streamed cavalier players oh yeah last week because like i'm like they get two starts against brooklyn sign me up and they went Ham, <laughs> like they went hard and they put up some stats. So I was like super excited because like the Cleveland players are averaging like some of them are averaging like 36 minutes a game and stuff like they just they're just like, yeah, just get out there and die on the court. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, no, the they're you know, it's going to be a, a meme this entire year about how, the, you know, they can't defend anyone. I'm sure they'll acquire another a big man at some point, probably like off waivers or via tra- some sort of trade. You know, they don't really have the resources to, tr- to trade anyone. They might move on from Dinwiddie, right? He's like out for the year. I could see them like working a trade for him.
0: I've heard some people say that. And the one that a lot of people say, which I think is way harder and way more unlikely, is like they should just move Kyrie. Like, yeah, that's for- that's not going to
1: happen. Nor, it should, nor happen. should it. I think, you know, okay. the reality is when you're an NBA team, you do everything you can to acquire, you know, that elite high end talent. And you acquire, no matter what the situation is, if you if you have the opportunity to acquire it, and you know if the trade is reasonable, or you know the resources, the assets that you're giving up, uh, you know are reasonable, you know you you just do it, and you figure the rest out later. So it's I I don't think Brooklyn is, is they could contend this year if they like figure it out and and fill out the roster really well, but they're um, you know it's they don't have a lot of time to do that and a lot of resources to do to do it with but give them one offseason to you know get the the minimum veteran minimum contracts of guys who are ring chasing you know the the Marcus all kind of kind of deals yeah, yeah, to their team yeah i was thinking
0: exactly whom yeah, yeah
1: you know like let them pick up a couple of those and give them an off season together like they're going to be really good next year and that, like that's just what you do so it's going to be kind of a meme this year i think because their defense is going to be so bad and they're going to you know have some hiccups trying to like figure out how to work together already it's it's funny to me how everybody like wanted to levy you know criticism on harden be like what like how can you expect harden to like play well with other people like he's the biggest ball hog in the league not realizing that like that's only been that's just been Houston's system for a few years and that was actually more D'Antoni than harden and harden has been like very like a very good facilitator throughout his career he literally like was the sixth man of the year playing or early in his career playing with russ and kd in okc so and like early on it looks like he's the guy who's deferring his scoring and doing more facilitating he just immediately adapts so, you know, it's, it's clear that Harden's taken a lot of undue criticism. Like, they'll figure it out. The team's going to be really good. I just don't know if they're going to be that good this year. Um, and so, like, people are going to write them off over the offseason. It's just this—I can just see the narratives forming. I, I've started following basketball so closely in the last, you know, two or three years. You can predict it, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I can just, like, see the way that the 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 basketball hive mind reacts. You know, I've been I, dealing the with the magic way. hive mind for, you know, 10 or 15 years. You know, the the— Most hive minds are basically the same. They're all very narrative driven. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's going to be the narrative on them until they, you know, make a deep playoff run or, you know, build a roster that can play some defense.
0: You know, I understand that completely. It's the same way with me with baseball. And speaking of baseball, I don't know if you heard about this. I'm sure you did, but, you know, there's people at home that um, Hank Aaron passed away yesterday. You know, we're recording this on Saturday, the 23rd. And, you know, usually I don't bring up that kind of stuff, you know, like, uh, you know, a baseball player, you know, a Hall of Famer passing away. But, this isn't just any other player. This isn't just any other baseball player or any other athlete, really. This is one of the most prominent Black athletes of all time, and just one of the most, one of the best baseball players of all time. And it's really funny that I say this. I even said it in the chat in our Discord. Check out the MTG Rants Discord. But I said this in our Discord in the sports section. Someone, you know, mentioned him, and I'm like. It's crazy to me that I say this, and I talk about this a lot, that I think he might be one of the most underrated baseball players of all time because he's not generally talked about in conversation. People are like, who's the best player you've ever seen? Like, what's the best player you've, you, you've ever watched? And it's always like, Willie Mays this, King Griffey Jr. that, because they were like, you know, flashy and good. And Hank Garrett wasn't exactly like flashy, but like when you look at his career, his longevity, his consistency, he might be one of the best hitters of all time, and he's just oh, yeah. never actually mentioned I mean, in these things. He's
1: number one all time in total bases.
0: Yeah, so... Uh, he's number one all the time in total bases, RBIs, runs. Uh, he's top five in hits. Like you know, uh, he was. He, some people still say he's the home run king. You know, because Bonds is who more yeah, home runs than him. Like, it's, whatever, it's blah blah blah. Um, one of my favorite stats. You actually just brought this up. One of my favorite stats of all time, or favorite records of his all the time, is he's the he's the number one total base uh person ever. So, for people who don't know what the stat total bases is, it's it's how many bases you accrue with a hit. So a single is like one base, a doubles two, a triples three, and home runs four. Right. So however many t- you know however many bases you've accrued over your your career with hitting the ball that is your total bases. If you take Hank Aaron's total bases uh, stat and you go to the second place person, he is more than a mile ahead of them. So yeah. like you know literally and like, it's you know, what like 90, ninety feet to first base. Yeah, like, it's, 90- it's ninety feet between the bases. Yeah. So he's he's over a he, he hit over a mile worth of uh, hits. to to the second place person so it's funny about you know oh this guy's miles ahead of the competition he's literally miles ahead of the competition yeah like it's it's a quantifiable stat that we actually have in baseball and he's that far ahead um
1: he's he's a top 10 player of all time and uh you know you said it obviously you know uh historically so important because of that uh the way his his chasing down of babe ruth you know highlighted uh you know racial inequality and you know at the time because that he broke it in the mid-70s right so you know in in the wake of the civil in the civil rights movement let me get the
0: exact year because i want to make sure because he did he did play quite a while i I want to
1: i want to say it was like april of 74 and he like he he, in the run-up to it he was getting you know death threats every day mailed to him Mm -hmm.
0: uh yeah 1974 yep uh, I can still see it in my head, by the way. I've seen it so because, like, you know, obviously being an Atlanta Braves fan, and he did it with the Atlanta Braves for you know, played for for yeah, 20 years. Yeah, there's
1: know. that that iconic, you know, replay of it. People running
0: onto the field, which yeah. is scary. Like, people don't understand how scary that was for him, and you can see that, like, he doesn't react to it the way that, like, I think a normal human being reacts to someone randomly grabbing everybody. Because a, it could have been another player. B, doesn't notice people from the stands. But you could also see on his face when it happens that he's just so fucking relieved it's over. Like, yeah, he's like, yeah, this is over. It's done. I don't have to hear about it anymore, because uh Hank's a very like humble man. From everything that I've gathered, I mean, I've heard him speak hundreds of times and stuff. And-
1: Another easy way to be underrated is to be soft spoken.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the antithesis of like, uh, what is it? Speak softly but carry a large stick or whatever. You know, um yeah, and just one of the best players of all time. It's going to be sad not to see him around, not to hear him around. I'm gonna, you know probably have to hear about them a little bit more than the average person. So it's going to be extra sad there, you know, because they're, they're going to talk about it a lot during Braves games. They'll be pro- probably wearing something on their – Yeah, about yeah, yeah, the whole patch. And... I mean, because, like, e- even now, every game that I watch, they they always show the, you know, the the record stuff. You know, like, in basketball, you have the the banners and the rafters. In baseball, they usually have, like, the years up with, like, colors or, like, you know, like, you know, whether you won a World Series at year whether you made the playoffs or, say, you won your division. And then they have their numbers up of, you know, the people who are – like the retired numbers, his 44 is just sitting there. and you know, it's been sitting there, you know, pretty much my, my entire lifetime almost of, of watching baseball and stuff. So uh not having him around because every year, you know, he comes into the booth and like, you know, there's, there's always like, there was always like Hank Aaron weekend. They'd come bring him in, let people meet him and stuff. And that's not going to happen anymore. And that's really sad. And, you know, we've lost a lot of people over the last few years and it just sucks, man. Yeah. In the last, I think month alone, three Braves hall of fame players have died. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a little crazy. So um But yeah, his just stands out a little bit more. And it's like you said, like him breaking a white man's record as a black man in the Deep South during, you know, the 60s and 70s. It's like, I have... I mean, if you go back and just read some of the letters that they've released, like they probably even, you know, release half of the damn things. But like some of them are just so awful. And the things that these people... And it's, you know, things that we're still fighting for today. And stuff too, which is another sad thing. to Think about, you know, it's what, 50 years now? Like, come on. like You know, kind of thing. But,
1: you know, when... When we're, you know, we're as magic players, you know, we're, we're competing. We have some idea of like, you know, what it means to compete in something at a high level, obviously like they're, they're, you know, professional sports are at a completely, you know, uh, you know, different, um, I don't want to say like intensity, but a scale, a completely different scale. Um, but you know, this often comes up in, in our own community when we talk about how, You know the the way we talk about merit in Magic, where a lot of people you know harp on just you know who's putting up the best numbers. We just want to have you know every time you know it came up a lot when Wattsy had discretionary invites, and it's like yeah, we just want the best people in you know. And whenever people said the best, it was like we just want basically the people like the most pro points and the most top eights, all all of the you know quote unquote objective measures of success, and that you've really got to realize that. You know, people from marginalized communities are dealing with so much behind the scenes that you don't see that affects their ability to compete, and that's got to be factored in, and that's just, a, you know, an unseen barrier. So, when you think about Hank Aaron just going year in, year out, playing at an incredibly high level for two decades straight, and while he's doing it, he's getting hundreds of death threats, you know, he's got to worry about his family, himself, you know, he's a public figure, he's, you know, people know where to find him, you know. Uh, and still able to block that out and and potentially use it to motivate himself I, I don't know, but you know at least you know persevere through that um, and that just has to be taken into account
0: yeah, just one of the greatest of all time uh, hard to argue you know with him probably being a top five hitter of all time, even though like you don't hear it as often you don't hear people talk about it as often and probably just a top one person. Of all time you know like you said just overcoming everything so i I don't know what else we could say about him that hasn't been said you don't have to spend too much more time on this it's just it's been heavy the last few weeks for me and like seeing that kind of sucked too you know like seeing uh someone that you've looked up to and someone that you've you know heard from and i didn't expect it to hit me and it did you know and that was like a very surprising type thing you know because a lot of the people you know we grew up watching. We're not going to lose them for a while. You know, yeah, they're a little older than us, most of them. You know, I'm I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of old, but like you get what I'm saying. Like you know, we're going to have MJ around for a while. Like some of these guys that you know shaped your childhood and stuff. that I, you know, I didn't get to watch Aaron play, you know, live, but I've seen I've seen so many things of him. And like anyone who wants to you know hear or learn more about him, I highly, highly recommend you just Google him and read his story coming up from Alabama. You know, leaving, I think he, like, left to go play wearing his sister, some of his sister's clothing because he didn't have enough clothing to, to go to go play baseball, and he had, like, 10 cents in his pocket or whatever. He like, he had, like, a little small bag with everything that he owned in it, and just it's an amazing story to hear what he overcame to, you know, get to where he was and the things that he had to overcome and, and deal with, too. So amazing story. Definitely highly recommend you, you uh, read up on that if it interests you at all, so... But uh, other than that, let's go ahead and just move into what we're doing this week for the Magic Show, because i got to say, I'm pretty excited about this week's episode. Um, anyone who's been following the show quite a while knows that we usually do this whenever the full sets are out. Ross and I are doing our top eight uh, this week, our top eight cards for the new set. We're going to have a little bit more of a broad look at some of the cards we usually do, because it used to be our top eight for Pioneer. This is more just our top eight cards in general. We'll probably talk about some specific stuff if you think, of, hey, it's good in this format, et cetera, et cetera. We'll probably get more in-depth on that stuff in the future. But I'm really excited to talk about these cards. We're going to be talking about our top eight in general. We're going to talk about our most overrated, our most underrated cards. And then maybe some, uh, there, there might be some some uh, honorary mentions of cards or two here and stuff. So um, usually we like to look back on the ones that we've done in the past to see what we did, you know, what our hits were, what our misses were. But since this Ross's computer is still in the fritz, we don't have access to that. And I don't feel like looking it up to find it myself, which I could have. So we're just going to go ahead and say that I won.
1: <laughs> i uh I, re- I remember some of the cards on my list and i don't think i did very well
0: it, we, the, we generally th- miss... that's
1: it i don't think zendikar rising had a huge impact on pioneer because we were still pioneer focused then so maybe it was just a case of like they're not really being eight hits i don't know
0: and i think we kind of like overlooked omnath as well if i remember yeah, right? yeah like, we I mean, both just overlooked omnath i can't i just we were both just very very dumb when it came to it. we hit yeah. blinders in our eyes obviously when I, when I see cards like that i'm always like yeah that card's good and it's like i generally just don't look at that card i look at all the other things it doesn't fit my i don't know what it is but something about it i just have blinders to it so
1: i just saw like four colors and for some reason assumed it was going to be too difficult to cast and i just like that just never happens yeah it's a nephilim like why why? when you play when you play made range you have perfect mana every time when you when you play aggro decks you literally can't cast your spells (laughs) just impossible
0: so I think we're gonna head, go ahead and start moving in here, talking about some more of the cards that we think are going to be big and big time player stuff. But before we do that, I want to talk about my honorary cards for this list because I think we're just gonna you and I both agree not to have them in our top eight because we think they're very impactful. But whatever, it's just the the pathway cycle gets finished in this yeah. set. And I think I think that's pretty important. Um, you know the color combinations are all there now, so all the color combinations have an extra duel in this set. So I think that's pretty big that you know mana is going to be a little bit better in the set, so maybe you could see a two-color aggro deck, maybe, and stuff in the set.
1: Um, um, I think r- r- if there were a two-color combination that's going to benefit the most, it'll be Rakdos getting mm. one because their mana has historically been pretty bad, but it's they have so a good bad. slate of cards. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is it rounds out a lot of different three-color mana bases. Like That's a Ab- really good point. Like yeah. Abzan gets access to the Golgari one pathway that it didn't have before. Jeskai gets access to the Azorius one. So that's a big it,
0: that's a big one for me. Is there was no blue white one as well? Yeah.
1: yeah, I'm trying to think. So among the among the five uh, combinations that have triomes, was there any of them that had all three? I don't think there was because Teemer was missing Simic. Uh,
0: I think they did that on purpose. Uh, yeah, Abzan
1: so. and Solty were missing Golgari and Jeskai and Marty. Uh, Jeskai was missing Azorius and Marty was missing Rakdos
0: sure i was gonna say i i haven't looked at this so i'd have to go back and look at it
1: yeah um are were any of them missing two so we have, we got simic azorius bractos and golgari uh so sultai was missing simic and golgari so they're probably the combination that gets helped the most if you want to be Sultaiing, tying though a little awkward because a lot of the sultai cards in this set are snow focused um but yeah, d- definitely important. I just like having, you know, symmetric access to mana. Um, I wish we had slightly better mana for decks, but that's a rant for a different show.
0: Yeah, uh, we, we've ranted on this enough. I feel like every few months it just comes up, probably like whenever the new sets come out or whenever we start to get to, to play new sets. And then we realize, God damn it, we can't play these, this deck because the mana is just too bad. Because, like, exactly like you said, you you made the perfect example that I would say. It was, like, the Rakdos deck. I'd always look at it and see the cards that are in. I'm like, dude, I fucking love these cards. I want to play this deck. This looks great. And then I can never cast my damn spells in the first two turns. My land's coming to play tapped with their two two colors, so I can never play a one-drop ever. Like, I've never cast a one-drop on one. So, you know, the mana being better, I'm all for it. Let's let's do that. Let's say those cards are going to be great. Do you want to head and just go ahead and move into our number eights? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go wanna, with you first. Wanna, what's your number okay. eight?
1: Okay, my number eight is Doomscar. This is the Fortell Wrath of God. Um, I think it, the card is being a little bit overrated. You know, it's pretty flashy to be able to cast a Wrath on three. Um, that said, it is very powerful. I've said this before about the card. I think the one of the things people are overlooking about it is not just the ability to cast a Wrath on three, which is very nice against aggressive decks, but being able to cast it for th- three mana on your turn five you know, foretelling it earlier, obviously, when you when you have the time. And then you get to hold up two mana and interact with their next play, whatever your opponent has to, you know, uh, redevelop their battlefield. And that way you get to untap with essentially no pressure on you. I think that aspect of the card is really nice. You know, we haven't really seen white control decks. You know, the, the, the Yorian decks sort of are sometimes more controlling, you know, you can call them mid-range. It's really hard to, you know, the line there is very gray, but really it's been rogues and other sort of demir decks because of the power of extinction event. But Doomscar is, I think, an upgrade on Shatter the Sky. So really helping white aggressive decks or white uh, white controlling decks as a, you know, that color. So it's going to shift the balance of power for reactive control decks in standard. And that that's enough to get, you know, squeak onto the list
0: all right cool um so just to say this this is uh this was originally uh my number seven card from Doom's car. so what i might do is i might just change it real quick to my card that i had as like an honorary mention i'll talk about that card as my number seven so that way we can get, like, the most cards kind of put up. So uh, I actually have Doomscar in my top eight as well. I think the card is just very good, like you said. For all the reasons you said, I don't really have much else to ask. Yeah. I do think I agree with you with, it, like, people are like, oh, you know, t- turn three, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, I mean, like, that's, that's going to happen, but, like, come on. <laughs> like, you know, you're still looking at a five-mana Wrath, which the the floor on that, you know, is fine. It's It's been good enough in standard before. I think this is a card that we're going to see a lot more shining out of it, which I think this is true for a lot of these cards when rotation happens. You know, like we, we we joked about the the time vault, you know, putting some of these cards away. Uh, I think this will shine a lot more when I think the format's going to slow down a tiny bit and like be more creature-centric with the way that it looks like in what's going to come up with some of the future sets because it looks like we're going into Creatures Matter a lot. And then a couple sets are like what your creatures are. You know, you're looking at Party and then we have like the Wizard set or whatever coming up soon, the Wizard School set. So maybe there's a bunch of spells in that. I don't know. So it looks like it might be back to spells versus creatures, which we haven't had in a while as standard. So, And I like those standards, so we'll see if that happens. But my number 8 is a card that I think can definitely show up in standard, but I like this card a lot for other formats too, especially car, uh, formats like commander stuff. But I do think that this card could show up in standard and have a big play, and that's Burning Rune Demon. This is a 6-6 flyer for 4 black black. And I'm going I'm to read what this card does, so when I talk about it, you you'll know what's going on. A lot of text on it. Yeah, so when it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for exactly two cards not named Burning, Rune Demon. That have different names. So, okay, let, let's take that sentence for a minute, because it's very wordy. You play this card, you search two cards out of your deck that aren't this card, and that don't share a name. There you go, right? And then your opponent chooses one of those cards to go into your hand, and the other one goes into your graveyard. Obviously very powerful, right? You're looking at a 6-6 flyer for 6. That's pretty good. Like, it's not horrible. You know, we've seen 6-6 flyers for 5 with good abilities not be good enough in the past. But the body attached to this card is good enough, right? It can get games over with. It can kill a planeswalker in one attack, blah, blah, blah. The fact that it has kind of like a tutor attached to it is what I'm really digging about this card and what I think makes it really good. And here's the other cool thing. I think that it's actually better that the card goes to your graveyard instead of getting like shuffled back into your deck or something because this is abusable, right? Like you can go get two cards with escape, right? Or you get a card that's really good right now and a card that might be really good in the future and your opponent has to kind of like figure it out, see which ones they have, whatever. There's ways to abuse this is what I'm saying. It's kind of like, you know, any of the... Gifts Ungiven type stuff in the past where you're like, well, I can make my piles to where all the cards are bad for you, or no matter how you you put this, I'm getting the other one, right?
1: Yeah, I think with things like Agademe's Awakening, so like, you know, recursive cards, that's that's the kind of card, like, I would incl- I would have one Agademe's Awakening, even if it's not a great card in my deck, because you can just, like, you know, find a creature, find Awakening, you know, be guaranteed to get something that you want. Um, you know, I think
0: of Ox of Agonis along with this as well. Yeah,
1: escape cards, uh, definitely a, a great thing to go with it. And uh, I, the other thing you got to keep in mind is you really want to diversify your removal spells. So that way you can, you know, f- sometimes you just need to deal with something. You find two removal spells, like, you know, maybe you were going to play two eat to extinction. Instead, of play one eat to extinction, one murderous rider. So you can find one of each off of this card and get, guarantee kill a planeswalker with it on the next turn uh you know i would definitely play hogra in a deck with this so you can find a creature and wheel spell in that um you know the so that you got to you know build it into your deck where you have you where you can have different packages that you're going to go to pretty reliably you know the, the get having some graveyard cards even if you're not super graveyard focused you know is going to be nice when you just want to get value you just get the two graveyard cards and it's like i have a six six that drew two cards that's great you know, then you've got to you know have different packages of removal spells so you can guarantee have an answer to a certain permanents that are on the battlefield. Like maybe maybe your sideboard becomes one shredded sails, one embereth shieldbreaker instead of two yeah. of one or the other. Yeah. You know, so that so to, it can answer a great henge, right? So that kind of deck building stuff is going to be important for maximizing this card. I'm I do think it's a solid card. Ultimately, I'm like I'm not sure if it is powerful enough to merit costing six mana
0: that's the that's the biggest thing for me i think that's the biggest thing for me and i think again i think it's another card that might shine a little more in the future but i like this card a lot i like exactly the point that you made where you want to be able to diversify because there's different things you can do with the packages of this card like if you're a tiny bit behind or they have a problematic permanent you go find like two answers for the permanent right and you're like oh well, i get either one of them like pick which one is worse you know et yeah. et cetera, et cetera I, whatever
1: i think i would like this card more if it was like a five mana 4-4 flyer right yeah i think, so I think that's, that's what cheaper with it, get a
0: little bit yeah. smaller. I think that's probably something that happened along with it, like, when they when they do power scaling on cards, like, when they're making this card, they're like, alright, we want this card, we want this effect on it, we need to make the mana cost and the, like, the stats on it correct, because, like, if we make it too cheap, then it's just a, you know, a ubiquitous threat that's in every black deck, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. so, like, you know, trying to figure that out. But the fact that you get a 6-6 flyer for 6 that draws another card, quote-unquote draws another card, that is generally going to be a problematic card for your opponent, is something that I like. Like, I love cards like this, because here's the thing. A 6-6 six, six Flyer for 6 against a lot of decks is a problem. They're going to have to answer this card, right? And they need an answer for this card. So what about the card that you get with this card as well? That's, that's going to also be a problem. So this is one of the cards that I like, that it presents a problem to your opponent, but they also have to worry about the next thing as well. It has, like, this incremental value type thing attached to it. Something else is coming along with it. I I just like cards like this. Yeah.
1: If if you build your deck correctly and build your deck well with this card in mind, it has a very, very high floor. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I'm a little worried about, I think it's kind of a low ceiling card, especially for the mana cost, but I do like the really, really high floor. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's definitely, you know, in in a, in a more, in a kind of grindy metagame. Like I think it, you know, if you're trying to like win Yorian mirrors, this is a this is a card that might be able to trump the, you know those Jeez. kinds of mirrors.
0: My, my eyes got real big when he said Yorian. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. Obviously, the, the synergy there too. I didn't even think about that. I was just like, oh. yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I think we should look at every card with Yorian, like just every card, because that seems to be the thing nowadays. Uh, also, like Gray Merchant of Asphodel is still legal. There's like a lot of people that really like mono black, and this could be the the very top end of your deck. That's very yeah, that's good. that's cool. Yeah. And kind of thing, too. Like, just a, a big threat, you know, like, kind of thing. Like, like think about castings to kill them. You go get Grey Merchant, and you go get, like, a uh, s- like one of the, you know, raised dead or put this creature from your graveyard into play cards. Because I'll tell you this. If I'm playing this card in my deck, I'm also probably playing cards that r- put a creature from the graveyard into play. So I can go get that package where I'm like, hey, I'll get my 6-6 Demon, Right. I'll get another creature that's really, really good or whatever. And then my Raise Dead card, like whatever you want to call it, my my Zombify card. Because here's the thing, you either give me the creature and I have that good creature in my hand, or I get to get that creature from my graveyard with the spell. But what if you kill my demon? You know, you'd have to take the six now because if you kill my demon, I'm just going to Raise Dead my demon and do it again. Yeah. You know, I'm going to start this chain that like, you, you, you like what are you going to do? You know, kind of thing. So uh, I like this card a lot. It's a Berserker. I don't think it really matters. Like, yeah, the Berserker deck is going to be yeah, too aggressive for that to yeah, matter. I just like this card. It's really cool. Um, I love cards like this. So, all right. Anyway, what's your number seven?
1: My number seven is Burgee, God of Storytelling. All right.
0: Which now, one is this one?
1: This is the one that makes a lot of mana, and the backside is the enchantment that, you know, tears through your deck. Uh, you
0: want to so, go ahead and just read the card off real quick for me? Yeah. Please? So
1: the front side is a two and a red, three, three, God. And it says, whenever you cast a spell, add red mana to your pool. And uh, your creatures that have boast can be boasted twice on any given turn, or on, on each of your turns. Um, the, the boast ability is cool. Like, I've, I've tried this card with a bunch of berserkers with boast. Um, it doesn't, you know, th- th- that's the least attractive aspect. The, the real key part is just making red mana whenever you cast a spell. So it's a really threatening mana engine, I think, in aggressive decks. It just makes a lot of sense. Like it, it, you know, it gets you to those double spell turns really quickly. Like, you know, you can follow Burji up and just mono red aggro with stomp your creature, play uh, Bonecrusher Giant, play a one drop, which is like a, That's really, a really good turn. Yeah, a really powerful turn. Oh, the, the red man also doesn't empty until like until the end of your turn, so you can be casting like haste creatures and then have mana floating into your combat and Embercleave. I think that's another really okay. powerful thing. So You've got my attention. Yeah, I think this card is good in red aggressive decks. There's also the... Oh, I forgot about the second half of it. So the, the the reverse side of it, because it's God, is a four and a red enchantment. It says, discard a card, exile the top two cards of your library, until the end of the turn you can cast them. So... Yeah, you know. We've seen
0: cards like this be good in Mono Red in the past where like you have like in- this is even better because like you have the other end when you need to have the aggressive card. Yeah. And then like if it gets late and it's it so to top to where this is kind of like your experimental frenzy where like now your lands get to turn into or you draw like a one drop that's not impactful or whatever, you know, removal spell and they don't have a creature. You're like, OK, well, discard it. You know, look at the top two cards in my library. I can I can cast those instead now.
1: Yeah. So you know, it gives you that late game punch that red decks are looking for without sacrificing the early game at all. So it, yeah. it just comes along for free, really. Like honestly, I think the front side might be good enough to see play by itself, and at that point, like the you know the back side is just coming along for free. I also have this card on my list because I think it has some potential in older formats where obviously you have a higher density of cheap spells. I actually have a modern deck list brewed into my you know Google Doc of random brews from the set. And it's just a mono-red storm, like, Storm-ish like
0: deck. Does it use Runaway Steamkin? It has Runaway Steamkin as a that secondary just seems like a match Yeah, it just seems like a match made in heaven with this card. Yeah, yeah. but with things like Lava Dart and Gutshot,
1: you know, just free spells, like you can play Burji on turn three and start going. Like Burji gutshot something, get a red. Lava dart something, get a red. Sack a mountain, get a red. Now I have two red. You know I've light up the stage. So after you gutshot them, you cast light up the stage. Tear through your deck more of that, and you win with, with Aria Flame and Grape Shot. Uh, deck also gets to play Lightning Bolt, so like you can you can sort of do a bad prowess impression, right? With Steamkin, Burji attack it. Like you have the two creatures that can attack and a bunch of burn and a couple grape shots, but you're mainly winning with Aria. Um... I don't know if the deck is good. Like the, the thing that worries me about it, especially in Modern, is it's a 3-mana three 3-3, three, three. so it's 3-mana trading uh, with Lightning Bolt, which, which is tough. Uh, but, you know, it can be difficult to Fatal Push if they don't have a Fetch. I think if you untap with it, the game is going to end a lot of the time. Um, you know, the, the the card is just that powerful, especially in combination with Aria. And then, you know, those double spell turns, it's facilitating. So, like, it's never going to be super flashy in Standard, but like just letting you double spell in turn four consistently in your aggro deck or triple spelling on those turns you know setting up that early that uh, really good ember cleave being able to cast the removal spell and the creature to keep the pressure on all of those things are really nice and it's in a you know a very low cost package and then when you draw it late and you don't need the extra mana it becomes a powerful card draw engine so i, I love the you know i've harped on this that when you're looking at double face cards you want cards that cover each other's weaknesses i think this one passes that criteria very well uh while also having both sides being individually powerful cards i got, i can see both burgie and it's riverside you know taking over a game one with card advantage one one with tempo and so that they can do it in two different ways so I, I'm just really excited about this card. I, the fact that it, you know, is reasonably easy to kill, especially in the older formats where the Burji side has the most potential is what gave me reticence and put it at seven. Otherwise I would have it higher.
0: Yeah, I love everything you said about this card. I think this card is very, very good. Um, I don't know what I could add that you didn't cover. You know, you kind of covered everything, but I, I'm a big fan of this type of card. And I think it's a, it's a big step in making either red aggressive or just mono red decks playable again in standard. Because this is what they needed. This is what they they when you've seen them be really good in the past. It's either that the creatures and the burn spells are really undercosted. Like I'm thinking about you know days when we had like goblin guides and lightning bolt in standard. You know, the, like just the most efficient of what it does for its cost. But then the good ones the last couple of years. Besides, you know, we've had a couple of big flashy cards in it, like Embercleave, like you said. But the ones that we've seen that have been really good are the ones that are. They're aggressive, but they're also resilient. Like, it always felt like when I played against Mono Red, they had better card advantage than I did.
1: Yeah, it was like Earthshaker Kenra came back for more. Bow Curry or Drew cards. Uh, uh, Bone is
0: a two-for-one, like, just built-in. You know, you're thinking of Earthshaker uh, Kenra. Ex- experimental
1: sorry. Frenzy at the top end yeah, of their curve.
0: Of, and then, like, but also the mana was also very good in them. And I don't just mean, like, oh, it's Mono Red, so your is good. I'm talking about, like, Runaway Steamkin. Like, the games where your opponent played a Runaway Steamkin on turn two. Especially if you're on the draw and you didn't answer it, you lost those games. Like, because they would just double spell usually the next turn or two, or they would, you know, that card attached with Frenzy was just too much for your opponent to, to, to deal with. And can you imagine these cards in conjunction with each other? Like, you have a Burgee in play and a, a Harnfeld in play at the same time. You can do a lot of disgusting stuff with this. Oh, yeah,
1: you definitely can. And, like, they're, that, that's, yeah, look, the the ceiling on this card is really high. So this is a high ceiling card. I'm worried about its floor, because like, are the decks that if you if you build your deck to to maximize its ceiling, then how good are you when your Burji dies or when you don't draw it? Because the, the red decks don't have like the when I look at the mono red storm deck I have like I'm not playing cheap cantrips because the red cantrips suck. I do have Manamorphos, obviously that card's busted. Um, but you know, uh, are you going to have trouble you know get, getting everything to come together? but the, the potential is very much here. Uh, the last thing I would want to say about it is it goes really well with two of the red two-drops that are around right now. In um, Actually, it goes well with all of them. Like, Robber the Rich gives you more spells, um, but that's the worst one. But uh, Rimrock Knight, you're going to Boulder Rush like all the time now because it's basically free. Yeah, it's free. <laughs> you yeah, you yeah. just get the red back. Um, and and uh, Kargan Intimidator just gives you an easy way to sink, like to sink the extra mana, so like that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah, like when you go turn two Kargan Intimidator, turn three Burji, turn four, you know, stomp your thing, play Bone Cursor Giant. Now I have a Red Floating. Now I can, like, you know, activate the Kargan Intimidator and do something else with my mana. So, uh, you know, sometimes you're going to have a couple extra mana lying around now. You can, you know, activate multiple abilities of it. So that the any cheap creature that has some sort of mana sink uh, is going to be really nice with this one.
0: All right, so uh, my number seven card, like I said, was a card that you already had. So I think I'm just gonna jump ahead to my six, and then we'll kind of like loop back around. And that's fine with you. Uh, my number six is kind of a tie because it's I'm gonna mention two cards, though it's it's specifically one of them. You're gonna see, you're gonna understand what I'm saying here. The cards are Behold the Multiverse and Saw It Coming the the good blue foretell cards. It's mostly behold the multiverse for me. So behold the yeah. multiverse is the uh like what was the the name of the card that it's it's uh glimmer of genius. It's the new glimmer yeah. of genius. It's three in a blue for an instant. It scries two and draws two cards. But it can be foretold. So you can pay the two ahead of time. You can foretell it for one in the blue, and then saw it coming is just cancel. But instead, if you foretold it, you can play it for one in a blue for its foretell cost. Um, I think these cards are very, very good on rate. Like they're good enough to be played uh, normally, and you're not embarrassed to cast them. Like, you know, we've we've seen like three mana counter spells be good enough in slower formats, and just be good enough. Even if like, hey, we're not, uh, you know, milling a card or what was it? We're not surveilling a card from our deck. You know, we we saw that one in the past. We're not gaining yeah. three life. Like we're
1: seeing didn't say please in rogues. You know, yeah, we're sur- didn't three say three mana marginal value. It, counter a spell is has been a staple of standard for five years now
0: yeah and it's, it's good enough right and we've seen the four mana like scry two draw two cards card before and it's been good enough right i think these are some of the best versions of those cards ever printed like i am a big fan of behold the multiverse and i am a little worried about these cards it matters if they fit in somewhere right like if a standard deck is good but the thing is we're seeing like a blue-white dual land, we're seeing this foretold Wrath card. We're seeing some control cards come into this, and I think that we might be seeing the day where like a traditional control deck might be good in standard again because it's been a while since we've had like you know we we've seen it come up and down you know hey we, we blue-white won this tournament or blue-white did well in this tournament but like it's been a while right you know because we don't have Teferi anymore we don't have that like that that five mana planeswalker the classic like if this resolves and stays alive for a turn you've probably won the game kind of thing. You know um, the typical the typical given pull that we've seen from control versus aggro in the last few standards, but I think we're moving closer to that in the future. I think this is something that's happening with the set. We're looking at that kind of thing, and even for some other decks, you know, Fortell becomes a thing. I don't think that you know you will be like, oh, I'm playing a Fortell deck. I don't think that's going to be a thing, but we'll see. But I have high hopes for these cards, and I kind of lumped them together because like they're the two that stand out some of the most and that are similar. Because when I think of them, I think of going down the 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 uh draw go kind of way because you know you have yeah you know that kind of thing. So behold the multiverse me, which is just a badass name too by the way. I love the name of that card. Um I love this card. I think it's great. I like both of these and I can see myself playing them a ton in the future.
1: Yeah, I'm um, I'm very much with you on behold the multiverse. That was in my honorable mention section. Um you know, very nearly made the list. I it's basically just unplayable in older formats, which I think is the only thing that kept it off if we were doing a standard only list. I think it would have made it in one of the last spots. It's going to be a uh, very good
0: role player, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I agree with you. I think it's one of the best of that ilk, like, you know, four mana draw spell. Um, you know, chemistry's Insight being in that in that category and some other things. I think it's one of the best ones printed. Um, I've chemistry's tra-
0: Insight was, like, held down by its own format, which, like, that card was very, very ahead of like, very yeah. good and just never got really played and, uh, because of Teferi and stuff. But, yeah. yeah,
1: and then um, the I've... I've said it before, and I think it's. I like that you brought up those two cards specifically for to carry the banner for Fortel because where Fortel makes the most sense is in reactive control decks. Because the thing you got to understand, you know, for our uh, viewers, reactive control decks, the trade off that they're making is they're saying I want the most flexible, wide ranging answers possible, which are counterspells, you know. Against removal, enters the battlefield effects are really good. You know, you can have their threats that match up well against their removal. You can do all that. You know, basically against counter spells, the only things you can do are be incredibly low curved so that you get underneath the counter spells, or have cards that say I can't be countered. Right? It's basically the only two things you can do. Um, so, the, one of the keys in beating reactive control decks is to make their counter spells awkward. You want to get out underneath them at least a little bit. And force them to tap out to answer your threats, and then immediately follow with another threat. Immediately follow with another threat, and never let your foot off the gas. Never take your you know your foot off their neck. I guess is a better metaphor. Um, so that th- so that the game ends, and they have two or three counter spells in their hand that they just never had an ab- uh, a window to use. And what Fortel allows you to do is it allows you to manipulate how you how and when you uh, when is the more operative word there. You use your mana so that you don't open those windows for your opponent to land a key threat and put you into that spin cycle where you're constantly treading water trying to keep up keep up answering their threats on the battlefield only to see it replaced and never having a window to use your counter spells you know uh, or, or and then obviously like you need the window to use your or your draw spells to gas back up to find more answers right so i think that's you know really important for these decks i love behold the multiverse I'm less high on the counterspell, but I will say once you're playing Behold the Multiverse, the value of having another foretell, a different, more foretell a different cards, party. yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is really high. And I'm not, you know, I don't think the cycling on Neutralize is like you know puts it that much ahead of, of the card. They're mostly Great. just cancels. Um, so I, I think one like Behold the Multiverse might drag um, a uh, saw it coming, you know, it, into the into its own Good echelon. Way of putting it, yeah. Um, so, you know, it makes a lot of sense. So you just like build this control deck where turn two, you're foretelling and your opponent's like, oh, do they have the Wrath of God? Am I supposed to not play a creature here? And, like, And then the next turn, like, do they have the, the counter spell there? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, and, and it gets really awkward for them. They're like, that's just free value. You're basically getting like, because, you know, your opponents are going to be forced to make difficult decisions where there isn't really a definitive right answer. There's only a like 60% right answer or a 40% right answer.
0: agree with all your points if you want to hear more of what Ross is talking about and like more of like kind of in-depth talk about it I think it's two episodes ago when we were doing you know our spoiler episodes we talked about Behold the Multiverse quite a bit and we talked about how like how cool with the casting cost of it changed is where you could fit it in with like your natural progressions of your draws from your control decks and how they classically fit in with like you know playing your two and three and four mana answers and stuff and you, it makes your deck operate a little bit smoother. I think is a big deal for me. And so if you want to go back and listen to that, it's like a, a little ten minute section of I think two episodes ago that you can get a little more in depth if you like that card. So what was your number six? Unless you were you. I have
1: one more ahead? point on, on those, sure. and we'll move on. And that's to say I, I like uh, saw it coming. In a three color control deck. If you're gonna play like Jeff Sky or Sultai or something, it's
0: easier on the mana. Yeah,
1: being being able to potentially cast it for only one blue mana. Not only, like, you know, sometimes you just don't draw the the second blue mana early, and it's really
0: nice to have that option. you uh, heard me talk about that, right, where I think it should be blue-blue, because A, just make it counterspell, and then B, like, I don't like the fact that it made it easier to cast. Yeah.
1: But it, it's also going to help you win counter-wars. Like, oftentimes, in, in Control Mirrors, you get to this point where you're casting three counterspells to their three counterspells. and but you maybe only you don't, have,
0: like, three islands in play. Yeah, and yet. you just don't
1: quite have enough blue mana to make it work. Like, this will help you with that, so... uh Yeah, I'm 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 higher on that card than I initially was. It's sort of grown on me, so I, I like the two that you chose. I think they're the best representatives. Uh, for those. I saw the
0: skeptical look on your face, and I was like, "It's two cards here," but like, you get where I was going with it because I, th- I think they drag each other along.
1: I just, I, you just keep trying, you keep doing that every set review show. You just something. never follow yeah. the rules, Tannen. Oh, just, no. just pick eight cards. Like you nope. can bring up other things. No, you've always got like you, you. You had the Wilt thing where you just wanted to pick every cycling card. Hey, you know, I was right. By the way, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. Wilt is not play. I think it I, does. It
0: does. It does help that I've been right every time that I've done this. But anyway. yeah.
1: But you're right in an annoying way, Tannen. <laughs>
0: I'm also right in an annoying amount of time I think for you as well. So <laughs> all right, okay. <laughs> anyway,
1: my number six. Uh, this is uh, Immerstrom Predator.
0: Okay. So this is
1: sort of the new Falconrath Aristocrat. It's a uh, two yeah, I black.
0: Todd Anderson was really big on this one too. Yeah,
1: two in black red for a three three dragon with flying, uh, and it has a, a little bit of weird functionality. So it says whenever it becomes tapped, put a plus and plus one counter on it. And you can exile a card from a graveyard, right? Uh, up to one. And then uh, uh, sacrifice a, uh, another creature, it gets indestructible until the end of turn. So that's where the, the Falcon Falconrath Aristocrat comes in. So, you know, obviously, Falcon Aristocrat was a defining card in its era and standard.
0: I lost to that card so, so, so much.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, this one, ha- uh, not having haste, I think ultimately makes it a little bit worse, but there is some functionality here. That's really nice. Obviously like getting really, Oh, the, when it, when you, when you make an indestructible, you also tap it. That's actually, that's pretty important. That's so, pretty important because you can not attack and yeah. Like, yeah, 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 but it does mean that you can, uh, you know, sacrifice creatures to exile stuff from their graveyard. You know, if you want to hit their Croxa, if you, you know, maybe in Pioneer, you want to hit their Uro, this is a card that offers some free graveyard hate which is really nice. You can you don't have to just hit creatures, you can hit planeswalkers that they can't get back now with Elspeth Conquers Death. Uh, you know, things like that. So the, the the graveyard interaction is really valuable. There's a lot of just like minor graveyard cards. Almost everybody uses the graveyard to some extent. And so these like, you know, minor elements of, of a graveyard interaction that are stapled onto otherwise, you know, good main deckable cards are really important. We kind of saw that dynamic happen like a decade ago with Lifelink. Uh, you know, you used to not see a ton of, life, like, life gain around. Not life but life, but life gain.
0: Yeah, it used to be a joke that life gain was, like, playable.
1: Yeah, well, that, that was more to do with how the, like, how the the game was imbalanced back then. But as it got more and more balanced, like, people wanted some life gain to try, because they just needed to survive against aggro decks. And the life gain that it would be good was, you know, life gain that was stapled to otherwise good cards. And the card that immediately comes to mind is Kitchen Finks, which was a staple in multiple formats for many years. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, has since been sort of outclassed, but uh, you know, I think we're starting to see that with graveyard hate, we're seeing it stapled onto otherwise you know playable cards. So it's not just something you have to like bring in a haymaker like rest in peace out of your sideboard for. You have things like Scavenging you news, know, cling to dust, you know, things like that. The that, that, you know even things like Nile spell bomb, which is a little bit older, uh, precursor to this. So Emberstorm Predator gives you that. Uh, especially for an aggressive deck, which usually isn't going to play some sort of reactive card that can deal with the graveyard. Is it going to help you out? You know, another sack outlet for these Rakdos decks, playing things like Claim the Firstborn and the Akron War. This is a, just a really powerful one. I've been really impressed with it. You know, when you're playing a, a, a Sacrifice deck, it's really important that your Sacrifice outlets stick on the battlefield yeah. and you know woe strider is really nice because it, it comes back but it takes yeah, a little while for that to right. happen uh you know and some like when you don't have the sacrifice you know uh effect those threatened effects look pretty bad and emberstone predator is a sacrifice effect that's really hard to remove basically like if they're not played white you know skyclay evaporation and, and elspeth Conquers death are cleanly answer it that's a problem Uh, but, you know, it it can get indestructible against all the other removal. It can dominate a battlefield in creature matchups if you need to buy a little bit of time. I actually played it uh, in a deck that was really impressive for me this week uh, when we did our our team show for Versus. So so that's viewer-submitted decks, you know, Team Ross versus Team Corey, and... Uh, this has been the most impressive viewer submitted deck I've ever played. You know, and we've been doing it for about a year. I think we've done four or five of those shows. That's a lot to say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you know, I've played twelve or fifteen of them. This was easily the most impressive one. It was a Jund Food Sacrifice deck that also played a Zika's Chariot, which like can make food tokens. We had, I had you know Woestrider can make goats. It can make its own cats. Uh, they I think they went a little bit too far with the dragons. They were playing the two drop that boasts. Which is like, cool, you can make dragon tokens and then make yeah. and copy them with I like, that. I like
0: that card, but maybe yeah. not for standard. yeah,
1: I do like that card, you know, uh, to some degree, but it just didn't fit the deck as much. But Immerstrom Predator and Ezekiel's chariot was great because you can also tap to crew and then get an exile uh, creatures that way without having to sacrifice anything. So it's another way to tap it and get immediate value. I was able to, you know, disrupt Corey's third chapter of Elspeth Conqueror's death, which is really cool. You know, the, the, and obviously, like, getting the cats means your Predator is protected at all. It just worked really well together. But Predator was one of the key cards. Super impressive. You know, just, it, it wasn't, you know, it's not as overtly powerful as Korvald, but it's that kind of card that snowballs, like, grows out of control. And this one, while not generating a ton of card advantage, just, like, is very difficult to answer. I think it's going to be a, a key element of Rakdos decks uh, in in this set. And the fact that they've also gotten bolstered by getting their, you know, pathway, uh, is it's going to be a good season for Rakdos, I think.
0: And, and that's the point for me is why it would make my top eight if it had, is the fact that um, it shoehorns into a deck really well already. That's good. It's, you know, it's a good sacrifice outlet, which is a big deal. You know, it sticks around, like you said. And then the incidental graveyard hate on it. I, I love that. I love the fact that you, you just have an answer, like main deck to, some, to something going on like that. You know, hey, they have an escape card in their graveyard or, you know, this or that or this or that. And you have this way to uh, to interact with that right away. So that, that's, a, that's a cool thing that you can do. You know, just type typed onto this card. Uh, I see myself losing this card quite a bit in the future. Uh, I do like it a lot. I think it's very, very powerful. Very good. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not a t- it's
1: play. not a tannin card.
0: I, I do like those decks, but I need to, like, play with them a lot. And I haven't been playing enough lately that, if like, if I was going to play this in tournament, I would have to practice a lot with it. And I, I, I would put in the time. It's not something I'm just going to pick up and mess around with. I, so.
1: I've just embraced my new identity as Rakdos guy. I don't, I don't, like, it, it happened last summer. I just kind of fell in love with Rakdos, and now I'm just Rakdos guy, and all I think about is claim the firstborn and village rights, just over and over and over again. It's all I ever want to do. I actually tweeted out a couple deck lists the other day. I was watching, uh, Spike stream, and he was playing, he, he's been playing this, like, Rakdos zombies deck. Which looked really cool. It had like, you know, it had Ether Vile. It also had Mayhem Devil Cat Oven, but then the rest of it was zombies. It had Undead Augur from from uh, Modern Masters, you know, the, the Midnight Reaper for zombies, and then, you know, uh, Carrion Feeder, Grave Crawler, you know, th- stuff like that. Um, a Dreadhorde Butcher, and Dross Messenger. So you had a lot of like pretty aggressive elements, and he was also using Vile with these three drops. I decided that I'd rather just go like super low curve. All, almost all one drops and kind of cut the zombie theme um and it was so like my list is still cat oven devil but devil's the only three drop and I'm playing blood gas Stitcher supplier kind of like the Orzov deck I, I played last year with Lurus and smugglers copter but this was just the with more of the red sacrifice elements I have no idea if the deck is good but it looks really cool I hope it's good as, as soon as I fix my computer and I can play moto i'm gonna I'm gonna fire it up and play it
0: uh speaking of cool i'm gonna mo- go ahead and move on to our number five for my number five and i think this is one of the cooler cards in the set for a few reasons and i'll talk about why but number five for me is voren this is uh Vorin-Klux monstrous raider it is four green green for a six six trample haste already pretty decent right you know it's a six five isn't it uh it's a six six i'm looking at the spoiler right now i mean unless the spoiler's wrong but it, it says no six-six. I-
1: i'm probably wrong for some reason in my head it was a six five but even better
0: the the old one's a seven six, so you're probably like thinking that like the the power toughness weren't the same, um, but there's there's more to this card. It says if you would put one or more counters on a permanent or player, put twice that many on each uh, of each of those kinds on the permanent or player instead, and then it does the antithesis for your opponent. If your opponent would put one or more counters on a permanent, put half that many rounded down. So uh, not only is this just a big dumb good idiot for green decks, you know, like a big. It's it's a trample haste six six right like that's pretty good at attacking planeswalkers and attacking your opponent's life total and getting them dead right that that's just a good card you know we've seen green decks in the past have top end cards like this to beat control decks like a huge threat that can come out with haste you know we've seen the I was about to say we've seen what are they, like Gaia's Revenge and you know cards like that uh, what was the what was the X one miscutter Hydra yeah <laughs> like pro blue and stuff we we've seen cattered. that kind of right and then. It just has this extra text added on to it that can be very good, right? Like, if you're a deck that can take advantage of the, the counters, which, like, I'm not saying build your deck and standard around this, that you're probably going to find it a little more wanting if you did that. It's probably not going to be as good because you're relying on a six drop to facilitate earlier cards, and then you need those earlier cards to be cast after the six drop. So, like, probably not super great there. Obviously has some cool synergy with, um, with uh, what do you call it, uh, planeswalkers for your own. It also has got great synergy with your opponent's stuff. You might randomly shut down a deck. We talk about the Rakdos deck that Ross has had, you know, those plus one plus one counters, they're not going on your creature anymore, you know, with this in play. Like just little bitty incremental value is huge on cards like this. One of the other reasons, one of the other reasons I think it's really cool is this is one of the uh, I think there's like two, even though this is the most direct one, the other one's not direct. References to Phyrexia on this plane, and I think we're gonna get Phyrexians in in a plane coming in the forward. And if we do. And if infect is back, because there isn't technically an infect creature in the set, you know, that gives poison counters, if that's a thing, this card might get played in 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 that, uh, in that yeah. deck.
1: In and against, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah, if exactly. your opponent's attacking you for one infect, you're, you're taking zero, and it's not really doing a whole lot. So, um, yeah, I, I 100% agree with you that the, the doubling your counters, which is usually the most attractive side of these things like it you know because you get to control what's in your deck is actually the least attractive of this one for the reason you said it you know it's a six drop so you, know, you want that kind of effect to be cheap like and skills
0: I, I will say real quick in, in commander go nuts like sure. in your yeah. yeah your fun formats plays card go nuts, but yeah, yeah it's, it's just
1: doubling season that like you know attacks and doubling <laughs> season that awesome. kills what
0: your opponent's permanents. Yeah, yeah It stops them from doing the stuff.
1: I, I imagine this will be like a a
0: good commander build around. This is a know? commander staple. This yeah, is this yeah. is an actual staple. It's also a legendary creature, so it could be your actual yeah. commander. Though mono green, I'm not sure. It's like we're. I'm not a commander, you know, I mean, you, you can be like
1: mono green with a counter with you play play your hard yeah. scales, play your doubling season, play your planeswalkers and
0: this is one of the cards that get you killed in commander. Yeah. I like those cards. Because like a, you're like, well, not only is it breaking stuff for me, but now you can't do what you're trying to do, you know, kind of thing. So but
1: it, to me, the the really attractive part of this card is that disruptive ability, and it's because it shuts down sagas. Mm-hmm. Sagas put lore I, counters.
0: I haven't even made that leap, and that's so just, like, yeah. that's just such a natural thing, and I just did not make that leap. Yeah,
1: so your opponent's sagas literally do nothing while this is on the battlefield, and yours get two counters at a time, and that, I, at first I thought that might mean you skip th- chapters, which would be weird. No, you just get both, and you can decide which, how to order the triggers. Like, you just get everything. So... Uh, shutting down sagas i think is huge and it's specifically huge when it's attached to a jump what is essentially i'll call a an honorary dragon like it's a big yeah. a big haste creature right that, that's going to be like a finisher and aggro decks and mid-range decks it's we, a titan
0: i think is what we should say because yeah. it's a six six for six yeah.
1: But yeah yeah so when you think about creatures like this two of the main removal spells people are playing in the standard environment right now to deal with threats like this are elspeth conquers death and the acro in war What's your which are Sorcery Speed and do literally nothing once you have four clocks on the battlefield. So unless if your opponent is not playing Heartless Act in their deck, like I, there's very few other things that actually answer this card in standard right now.
0: Yeah. And the the way that like natural progressions of play patterns are gonna happen on this card, I like a lot. Like your your blue white opponent, or whatever is on turn four, or five, or six or whatever, is gonna play their you know, their sweeper. They're either gonna kill all your stuff with a sweeper. This is a really good follow up to that, or they're gonna play their planeswalker because they finally have like you know, they finally, like, at in a turn, killed your thing, played a Planeswalker, and now you're like, okay, attack your Planeswalker. Or you can keep attacking them, because now they have to answer this, because your Planeswalker doesn't do anything now. Yeah, but know, or, or, doesn't or, get or barely does anything.
1: Like, um, yeah. you know, if they can't, it's basically impossible to Ugin this, because Ugin enters now with three counters. If they try to Kaya it, which like is going to be like the new ECD, and Kaya's been pretty impressive, that enters with two counters. It can't minus three and kill anything. Uh, You know... The, there's there's very few good answers to this card, and it's you know you know it's, it's six power of haste. It ends games very quickly. This has been one of the more impressive cards we've played with on versus. We've played with it in multiple shells. Um, you know I, I could even and um, you know I I just keep being impressed with it. Uh, shutting out... like there's so many sagas in this set. That, like binding the old gods. That's another card that people would play to answer a threat like this. Doesn't do anything. You know uh, I um. And one more. Oh, and the last thing about this card, why it fits so well in the standard environment and maybe even Pioneer, it is one of the best cards to cast on turn five with Castle Caribrid. Yeah, it's that's be, actually be, it's a good point. Best yeah. this with works, Castle
0: Karanburg. This works really, really well with Castle Caribrid. Yeah. yeah. One Pretty of the
1: one of the awkward things is like you know you think about mono green aggro, which was good last summer, hasn't been good in the fall. It doesn't really want to play a six drop. It wants to end its curve at five. Well, with Castle Garenberg, it still ends its curve at five with Vorinclex. So I think this card could bring back mono green aggro. I think it can go into Cruel Adventures. This is the kind of card that, like, if you're playing tournaments on week one in the standard format, I would 100% want to play a Vorinclex deck, even if it's just Cruel Adventures where you find room for two Vorinclexes. I I think you know people are going to bring the the proven strategies, the proven decks. They're going to show up with their ECDS and their Acroan Wars, and you're going to Vorinclex them, and they're just not going to have an answer. And
0: they're going to cry. Yeah. yeah.
1: And you'll just board it out against rogues, you know, just get it out of your deck, but it's going to be insane in every other matchup you play for the first two weeks of the format. And then people are finally going to have to be like, okay, how do we adjust to this fucking monster of a card?
0: Yeah, because I I think this card just jump like, this is one of the cards to me that just jumps off the page when you read it. Like, it just jumps off the cardboard. Like, this card is obviously very good. It's obviously very, very powerful. I think it's going to be very impactful. Um, I did have one more thing to say to this, and you kind of hit on it. I do think this gets like kind of one of my honorary mentions to be a better card as well in Old Growth Troll. I think that card is going to be very good, and if it keeps Mono Green or like Mono Green Stompy as a deck, and like this is the top end of it, it's going to make cards like Old Growth Troll better. And it's nice,
1: uh, like Old Growth Troll is weak against the white removal, and Vorin Klux is very good against the white removal, so you kind of always have you, you know uh, something that they're going to struggle with.
0: And, like, the other thing, too, is, like, if they play, if you play Old Growth Troll and they do the thing that kills it and you enchant a forest and your forest now taps for two mana instead, this kind of scales up into your Voronclox very, very well. You know, this, yes. this works, just this very, you know, this, this allows you to get to the six mana next turn with you with a uh, with a Castle Garenbrig.
1: If you play Old Growth Troll and they kill it on their turn, then you might be able to just turn four of the Voronclox with Castle.
0: That's what I was just saying. Yeah, yeah it, it makes it work really well with Castle. Like, if they know, play the,
1: the, the, the Fumeral card, the red-red four-damage sorcery, maybe, like if that's a thing yeah. people are playing. I don't I'm, you know, just a speculation. But, you know, yeah, I'm... I, I, w- I would look into, like, just a traditional mono-green aggro deck as opposed to mono-green food. You know, I, I had it stop my... my I actually had it stop my Wicked Walls getting counters, too, which, you know, m- made it really awkward to you know have those cards be effective. Yeah. They normally dominate the battlefield in creature matchups.
0: And so... Uh, You know, that being said, with everything, I think I may have this card too low on my list, honestly. I kind of just put my numbers very quickly. You've got it lower than I do. (laughs) So you don't even have it on your list?
1: No, I I said I have it higher.
0: Okay, Um, that's what I meant. Okay, so
1: what's what's your number five? My number five is Faceless Haven. This is the card. I'm a little worried I'm overrating it, but I think it is one of the better just snow cards. I want you to remember what you just said, and then we'll come back to it, guys. Yeah, uh, you know... So I've said this before about other cards, but it, it like I love creature lands. It's like one of the car, card you know types that I just really like. So I tend to overrate them a little bit. So that's why I'm worried I'm overrating it. But I've been impressed by it. I think it's it's an efficient creature land, three mana for a four three, uh, and as vigilant, so it really is a hard three mana, not like fake four mana. You know, like Vault says it act- one to activate, but it's really two. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly.
1: Right. So uh, you know I've been impressed with it in. Um, in snow decks, we've played a bit with it on versus. I think this is the kind of card that will incentivize you to play mono-colored snow decks a lot. Yeah. Right? Like good point. you know, uh it, it's an easy creature land to put in your deck. Like mono red could easily just be a snow deck now. Play, you know, a few snow cards in it, maybe get some value out of that, and then get to play four faceless haven and have this really strong creature land as a result. So I expect monocolor decks to be interested in this card and look into being snow if they can. And for that reason, I'm like pretty confident it will see some play. But this is never the car, like this is never a card that's going to be like oh my god this card is completely dominating standard. Even even if creature lens do do that, like Mutavault was literally the best card in standard for a year, and nobody really knew it, and all the all the hype was on like Packrat and Fassa, but it was really just Mutavault being unbelievably good. Um, so the, the I'm I'm confident this card will see some play, but I think it will just be consistently under the radar as to how good it is. And I'm I'm not super confident in a lot of the snow other snow pay- payoffs. So that's the other issues. Like you got to play snow lands. Uh, you know it's hard to do that with multiple colors because you don't want to play the stupid fucking gates. And even with monocolored decks, it then becomes a little awkward to play the the modal double face cards because they're not snow mana. So you got to be a little bit careful with like how many shatter skull smashings you have in your red deck, like uh, and how versus how many faceless havens. So there's still there's a little tension there, which I'm sure was intentional. Um, but th- this is just a good creature land and I, I'm, you know, I'm a sucker for a good creature land.
0: I'm going to talk about this card right now. It's going to spoil a little bit of my further list and we're going we're to, I'm going to ask you and we're going to talk about this. Why? Where do you think I have this card on my list? Cause it's on my list.
1: I'm going to say two.
0: Uh, so it was a trick question. This is my most overrated card and I'll, I'll talk about it for a few reasons why. I, um, as a creature land, I think that people are underrating how expensive this is to activate. And the reason I'm saying I'm calling it overrated is I've heard, you know, from good playable all the way up to this is the best creature land ever printed. I've, oh, I've literally heard oh, all the way up the scale that. It's I think certainly that's a, not that's, the
1: best creature land ever printed because that is Mutavolt.
0: It is. Yeah. I will going say it's a bit excessive. It's not as good as Mutavolt. I do think this card is cool. It's good. I think it matters how much a it can fit into decks. That's a big thing for me. Like you said, you know, like it's probably mono-colored decks. B, is the snowland part of it gonna be relevant. If that's relevant, then this card gets better, right? Like if snow is good and playable, like et cetera. Et cetera. Now, the one thing that I do like, and I'm gonna try to not get too much into this because it's gonna run a further card on my list, is I do love the way that this plays with Tundra Fumarol. Because Tundra Fumarol is the uh, the sorcery that deals damage and then you get you get the mana back, you get colorless mana back depending on how much snow you've spent. But it's a snow, uh, it's a snow sorcery. So the the mana is snow colorless, right? So you can use it to activate Faceless Haven. I believe that is true. If that is a thing, that is actually a really sweet turn three or turn four play where you have Faceless Haven, and you're like, kill your blocker or whatever. Use the mana to activate my creature land, attack you with my stuff. Like that is actually because we were, we were talking about this i'm gonna i'm gonna run my list i have tundra Fumeral higher up on my list we're gonna talk about this in a minute and the thing that i like is if you get very good uses out of the mana from tundra Fumeral, that's when i think that card is absurd and this is another card that makes that card good and this one i think i think is going to make this card a little bit more playable um i'm not saying this card is bad i just have it as my most overrated because of how high up i'm hearing everyone else and i'm not sure on it yet i do think, obviously the card's good obviously the card's powerful four four powers a lot out of a creature land, you know, you're, it's going to beat control decks pretty well because they're going to have to like wrath you, and you're like, okay, like untap, like attack you for four, kind of thing, you know, or whatever. And they're going to have like, you know, c- removal spells that say non-land on them. You know, there's always those little things like that. But um, I'm is, I'm more iffy on this card than most. How about that?
1: I I haven't heard that same hype that you've heard. So uh, you know, yeah, maybe I, different my circles. perspective, yeah, my perspective is colored differently, but. As far yeah. as like what decks could be monocolored in snow, I see the potential for a red deck that is snow, a blue deck that is snow, and a green deck. Yeah. So I think there's three. Uh, I don't think there's, white. There's a
0: chance it gets played a lot. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not going to get played. This is one of those like overrated with a caveat thing because I don't think it's as busted as everyone thinks it is. I do think it's going to be a solid snow solid snow player. Uh but I don't think it's mutable. So oh yeah, it's, then- it,
1: it's definitely not mutable. This I think this card's ceiling is like. Uh, I'm not even sure if its ceiling is like Raging Ravine or Treetop Village, which is like that next tier of Creature Land, right? It's it, it's maybe that maybe that's its ceiling because I I, don't, I definitely don't think it's better, but I think it could end up being on that level. Uh, it just won't be as ubiquitous because of the snow restriction, but you know within the context of snow decks, I think it's probably about that level of card. Uh, so th- that's where I see the card ceiling, but that you know is a really good card. You know Raging Ravine was a, a standard staple.
0: Sure. All right, so I think we're on to my number four. I yes. Think what's going on here? Okay. Uh, I think you're going to be happy with what I picked for number four. What is that? Uh, I have the elf planeswalker. Uh, Tyvar Kel. Tyvar Kel. Interesting. All right. So for everyone at home, it's two It's two green green for a planeswalker with three loyalty. It has a static. It says elves you control have tap, add a black. Uh, it's plus one. It's put a it plus, one, plus one counter and up to one target elf. Untap it. It gains death touch until long turn. Uh, the next ability is a zero. It just creates a green elf warrior creature token and then a -6 elves uh you control get an emblem or sorry I'm sorry you get an emblem that says whenever uh you cast an elf spell it gains haste until end of turn and you draw two cards i have this card on my list solely because if elves is playable in standard if it becomes a playable deck this is going to be one of the reasons why this will be probably the sole reason why i think the other cards being good enough is part of it but they need the Planeswalker to also be good enough. And this will be like the glue that holds the deck together because it's the it's the slightly different thing that's doing really powerful stuff. You know, because like all you have all the creatures coming together to do a bunch of powerful stuff, but then like, oh, now you have this Planeswalker over the side doing powerful stuff. And it's one of the Planeswalkers that they kind of shied away from in the past where like it fuels into itself. You know, it makes elves do things, but it also makes elves. So like you don't have to necessarily like... You know, if, if you've gotten Raft, this is a fine follow up. You're like, play my Tavar, make an elf go like that. That's an OK way to get a game started, like get a game restarted from there. So I think this one has uh, a very low floor because if elves is unplayable, this card unplay- is unplayable. But I think this one has a very high ceiling and being a super impactful card in a good deck. In standard, and so that's why I have it on my list.
1: Uh, so this was one of my honorable mentions. I am a hundred percent in agreement with you that if elves is playable, this is the primary reason. You know, when I was first building elves decks for versus, I I was unclear to me which one was better between Tyvar Kell and Harold Unites the Elves, the saga, because both read really well to me. Uh, I've come to you know fully lean towards Tyvar being the superior of the two. That you know they're both important for an elf deck to work. The most success I've had with elves is building it with a white splash and going up and playing Yorian. So you get the value. of Surprise. With
0: Surprise. <laughs>
1: I mean, you have Lanoir Visionary, you have yeah. Herald, uh, you have actual Herald, and importantly, both Herald Unites the Elves and Herald uh, itself find Tyvar. You
0: know, Harold. Yeah, Herald- we've said that, like, you might even be Abzan, sort of, with elves, because, like, they, they seem to have the Golgari theme-ish going on here, yeah. and then, you know, splashing white into that isn't necessarily that difficult now
1: yeah no i, w- I was playing i wasn't playing that much white it was like yorian eerie ultimatum at the very top end of the curve so like the game goes long and he's return a million different elves and-, and other permanents and um and kaya is just a first little removal spell good with yorian protects your other elves kaya has been impressive anytime you're getting a good value out of the plus one and el- the elf deck can certainly do that um, so th- that's been the most success I've had playing Elves. The problem is, I'm not sold that that deck is better than just a normal Abzan-Yorian deck using more generically powerful cards. You know, uh, there's, Cory had a list recently that, that looked really powerful and looked, was really impressive to me, and so I'm worried about the viable, like, I'm not confident that Elves is going to be a viable deck. I think it's going to be one of those tier two fringe archetypes. Um, you know, and if it ever gets too good, like Witch's Vengeance is a card, um, and that's a problem, but I do think like it, it will be. It, it's not going to be a joke of a deck. I think Elf is going to be a tier two deck, and Tyvar is going to be the main reason why. So that's why I had it honorable mention as opposed to making the list. But um, very much agree with you that it's it's the it's the main draw to being Elf tribal.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, so I think we're on to your number four.
1: My I number four, and definitely one of the ones that has a lot of cross format viability. This is a Malki, God of Lies one of the earlier cards previewed. So call us in a black for 2-1 God. When it enters the battlefield, you look at your opponent's hand. You can take a creature from it and exile it uh, for as long as Valky is on the battlefield. And then you can also pay X and have Valky turn into a copy of that creature. Importantly, that does not go away at the end of the turn. And it, you don't retain the ability, so like you just you know turn from Valky into something else. I, um, and then the other side is Tybalt. Five black, red. It's a planeswalker that does a bunch of really powerful stuff.
0: Uh, but yeah read the card it reads real well it jumps right off the car- the cardboard uh real quick real quick so this is actually my number two so i'm I'm also very high on this card for a lot of the reasons ross said uh before I, i'm gonna cut you off for like two more seconds sure the, the main reason for me is i think this card is practically unbeatable like if you cast the planeswalker side and you get to actually do something with it i do not see many people coming back from that and then to kind of add to what you had said from the front side which i like a lot more than i originally liked like the more i think about the way it's going to play out Playing this on turn two, taking their Uro in other formats, and then turning this into an Uro? Yeah, on, on turn three. Like, sign me up. <laughs> the one thing I, that, uh,
1: that gives me a real pause is Ren and Six is often in the Uro decks. Yeah, and yeah. So they can just rent the value. but they, they literally have a turn. It's like, you have one turn.
0: You're also in a black deck, so you're probably playing, like, Thoughtseize, Inquisition yeah, of Kozilek yeah, like, with exactly. this card. Like, yeah,
1: Yeah, can you imagine just, just curves like that? Uh, and, so obviously, like, taking the Uro in Pioneer and Modern is awesome. In Standard, you can take Croxa and do similar things. I, I, like, took a Rada out of one of Corey's Elf decks and then activated, made a Rada, started generating card advantage, and then later in the game, claimed the Firstborn, his Rada, and sacrificed his to the Legend rule, right? Uh, did some cool stuff. Being able to turn Valky into a different creature means you can play a second Valky. So even even if you're only playing the front side, you still haven't gotten to seven mana, you can often get around the legend rule of it uh, with, with that ability, which I like. And then the really, the most exciting thing in, and I'm not sure if you know about this interaction, but when you cascade into Valky, you can cast Tibble.
0: I had actually heard about this. And yeah. I think it's just unreal. I think that rules should be changed, but I think it's so real that you can do that.
1: Yeah. So if you want to put Valkyrie into your Inquisition thoughtsies deck, I might suggest Jund. Jund.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can I suggest Jund for you? Yes. And so here's the thing: we often make fun of Jund in modern in, in on this. In, it's always tongue in cheek, right? Like I think that's the deck that gets shit on the most in that format. I think gets made fun of the most. It's been around. Everyone has that Jund guy at their local store. You and I've joked about if you play a player. Uh, playing Jund in modern on the SCG tour, I think it's like you're 90% to play, if someone has a foil version yeah. of the deck. Like they always have it foiled out because it's a labor of love. If you've wanted a new tool for your deck, here's one to highly, highly consider. I think this card is very good across a lot of formats. I think this card is poised to be a dominant card in Pre- a lot of pre-order these. Pre
1: order your foil Valkyries at slash previews, yeah. please. Yeah. <laughs> Tell
0: well, them Ross sent you. Let me, see the, let, me see, let me see if I can find a, a price on this because I saw a price in Voraclix earlier. I don't even know if they've got a price up on this, but I'm interested to see what they're at because I like this card a lot. I like all the artworks for it because there's a lot of artworks for it. And I am very looking forward to casting this card because, you know, you said you've become the Rakdos guy in the last few years. I'm kind of been leaning that way a little bit more lately. I like what it's been doing. You know, I like the the fact that uh, black pairs well with red lately because red is like aggressive, but also card advantage-y in the last few years and then like black just seems to slot in well with it the way that they've been making the cards for it. Um, I like this card a lot. I like both ends. It's the most flexible one, in my opinion, out of the gods, because and while I say flexible, it's, it's the one that you're going to get most uses out of both ends because the front end is so good early. And the fact that you can cast it on two, do the thing, change it into another creature, cast another front half of this. And then anytime that you get to have seven mana and cast the back end of this card, you are not losing that game. Like, no one is beating Tybalt, which is hilarious. We joked about this. This is magic making up, making it up for Tybalt because it's probably one of the worst, if not the worst Planeswalker ever printed. And now it just gets one of the better ones that we've seen in a long time.
1: Yeah, definitely uh, definitely a, a, nice, a nice bone to throw uh, Tybalt's way. I, <laughs> this is a card that I assumed, like, two weeks ago, this was going to be my number one when we did the show. I thought but so, too. A couple cards that have, you know, risen up, and we'll obviously get to them as we continue through the list, but... Uh, this is another one that, like, I've I've come a little bit down on it because of the presence of Renin and uh, Six, and also because my Rakdos decks in Standard have become so heavy sacrifice-focused that I haven't found room for Valky. That said, I'm sort of expecting those decks to, you know, as I test them and flesh them out. I realize that like certain of the elements to that, like I don't need to be a hundred percent, you know, in on, on sacrifice themes. And as I pair back and look to just add powerful cards, Valky is definitely near the top of the list of just generically good cards to add to the deck. So, um, you know, I, I could be, you know, uh, disappointed that I only had it fourth. Like I would not be surprised if, if that happened. Uh, I think that there's a, a pretty big gap. Like if you were, if I were to, you know, sort of uh, rate all the cards on my list, like on a, you know, On some like hundred point scale, I think the biggest gap is between five and four. I think these top four cards that I on my list are like all really really strong, and I have really high expectations for. And I would also be like very surprised if any of them busted. Um, So like this is a it's a strong four.
0: Mm -hmm. No, right right there with you. Uh, I definitely agree. I I thought like I went back and forth, and almost I I had it as my one, but I changed my one like the last the last couple days. All right, Uh, my number three. I think that's where we are. Okay, my number three, and this is one of the ones, again, with a, uh, I think it's got a pretty high floor, but I think the ceiling could be unreal high on this card, and that's just Tundra Fumeral. I kind of touched on it a minute earlier. It's one red-red for a Snow Sorcery. It deals four damage to target creature or Planeswalker, and then you get to add Colorless for each uh, Snow mana spent to cast the spell, until end of turn, uh, you don't lose this mana as Steps and Phases end. So here's a pretty cool thing about this. I think this is a card that can show up in a multitude of decks that have red mana in it. I think it could be in the aggressive versions of it that allow you to double spell. Uh, we talked about earlier, activates your creature land. Or uh you and I kind of touched on this earlier. You can cast Crystalline Giant off yeah. this, which is which is a really good play. You know, try to find some colorless plays that are really good and aggressive. Or you for can people also who or are, tell off of it. Yeah, yeah. For people or for to help out a little bit with crystalline giant, that's uh Mecha Godzilla for people who play a lot on arena, like you know, you all cause I only see it as Mecha Godzilla or whatever, so um, I think the, the fact that this is one of the cards that allows you to double spell and get super far ahead of your opponent, right? And also the, the mana not leaving phases is a big thing for me, uh, because like, obviously you can like do this, uh, then you can like attack in some way and see if your opponent does something and then you could change your play in your second main phase, whatever you want. Also, it's technically a free spell later in the game as you do, like, cause if you tap three you know, uh, snow covered mountains for this or whatever. You just get that three mana back. So it allows you to like play this. And then on like turn five, you can play a five drop behind this or something. You know, like if your last two cards in your hand are this and Ox of a you can cast this, then just cast Ox of a and draw a bunch of cards. Or, you know, if it's turn seven or eight, you can like have a little extra mana. You go into Ugin or something like that. You know, there's a lot of things that you could do with this card. And it fits so well in like the aggressive decks, into the mid range decks, into I can see control decks that are red based that want a damage spell playing one or two copies of this card because of the effect that it can have on a game and the fact that it's technically free. Like it's one of the ones where you like you put the the mana up front but like you get that mana back out of the investment and I, I just think this card is very very powerful and has a very high ceiling. Okay. okay. Uh I'm, I'm a lot lower on this card than you I, are then. I'm aware. Yeah. Yeah, it, it you
1: know it's, it didn't make my list. To me and, when I evaluate removal spells these days, the number one thing on my list of criteria is like, what are the relevant threats it answers. And uh, this one just doesn't line up against a lot of the threats that red decks need to kill. Namely, love struck beast, you know, those bigger green creatures. I think there's a lot of planeswalkers that it will also struggle to answer though. There's not a lot of planeswalkers in this format right now. It, It does cleanly kill Vivian, but I don't, I think red decks are pretty good at dealing with Vivian anyway. Um, I, I like this is the kind of card that I would love to be good but for all the reasons you stated. Like I love the, you know, being able to double spell and do things with my mana and get ahead. Uh but that like extra value tacked on to removal spells I found like isn't that important if the removal spell isn't baseline effective at answering the things you need it to a answer.
0: That's really that's a really, really good point. And I think this is the card that I went like the highest and lowest with when I was doing this. I wasn't sure where to put it on my list. It kind of just like fell to this spot. But you know the high, the highs on it was like insane, insane for me. But I think that's going to be the exception more than the rule. The,
1: that that said, the you know when you think about a card's lifetime and standard, it goes over you know a ton of seasons, a lot of different you know metagames, and the the metagame's always evolving. If we get to a point where the metagame you know evolves at a place where this card is lining up and dealing with key threats really well, it's, it's you know whatever the they are, this card is insane so i agree that the ceiling is really high but i also uh you said the floor is high that's where i disagree i think the floor is very i, low. I meant
0: the i meant the floor is low okay i, I yeah. misspoke yeah
1: so th- that that worries me i think it's yeah it's a very boom bust card so this to me is going to be a very it's going to be a metagame player like there are going to be certain weekends where you really want to be on it and it looks like a world beater and then there are going to be weekends where it just it sits in your hand it doesn't really do yeah. anything or like i can you know i can see kill, a right kills where it a two
0: Yeah, I can see a format where it devolves to like your turn three or four play is ideally is casting this on your opponent's creature to kill it and then do something and like that's like... The Bloodbraid Mirror in back in the days when like the first person to cast braid and do something aggressive along with it was like the person who was probably winning, you know, because like now they're attacking plus doing something else plus doing, yeah. you know what I mean? The other person so basically
1: needs it. their own blood braid to catch back up.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like now you need to, yeah, you need to be thunder thunder fumeraling my like my Crystalline Giant. Yeah. What if it got what if it got the the Shroud uh, counter or whatever, yeah. the can, Hexproof can, counter? Can you, you know, imagine if you a a like
1: I play two drop, you play two drop. I'm like okay, kill your two drop, play a three drop. Like okay, yeah. kill your three drop, play my three drop.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's gonna go back and forth a lot. It, it, yeah.
1: It's one of those weird things where at, at that in that exchange you'd rather be the person on the draw because you, you're the one who ends with the three drop and play versus the two drop
0: yeah there hasn't been many uh, there hasn't been many instances of that magic but there have been a few and there's there's a specific one i can't remember the card was but i can specifically specifically remember sitting in my living room in las vegas playing with jonathan job and we talked about it, it was like a mirror and we we're both doing it and i was like i was like he was about to cast the card or whatever on like turn four or five. And he's like, no, no, don't do this. And he's like, well, I'm like, they're going to do theirs. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, no, no, it's better to be second with this. And I explained why. And he's like, oh, he like did it. And we were like super far ahead. And I was like, yeah, you actually want to be second with yeah. this or whatever. And stuff." I, and,
1: I'm not sure what card you're referencing. I don't remember. I, I don't remember I this dynamic occurring a lot in the Goblin Rabble Master days because everyone had lightning strike. So playing your Goblin
0: Rabble Master on turn three on the play into their strike was bad. I think that was literally actually it. I think because like we had the removal spell for Rabble Master and he was about to play his and I was like, no, 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 stop. He's like, what? Well, I'm like, he's going to play Rabble Master. We kill it before they get token. Then we play our Rabble Master. Now and, they have and, to answer And we it, definitely and get we a, a token. Yes. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. I'll try that. And he did it and it happened. And I was like, yeah, it's just better. This is exactly it because we were playing. I remember we played a red, white deck at a GP. Yeah, was it in was LA. The, the
1: Boris Agar deck that, uh, you yeah. know, had Chain to the Rocks. And yeah. it, it, was, it was mostly red. I, I played that, that was a little it. bit too.
0: Yeah. And I was like we were like trying to learn the mirror cuz the mirror was going to be prevalent. We wanted to figure out like how to do it and I was like, yeah, I think you just want to become the control deck in the mirror or whatever. So, anyway, sorry. It's so great that that is actually the the specific one that I was thinking of cuz I remember it had to do with killing a creature. So, yeah,
1: yeah, master on the play v-, v draw. So that that's um, you know, that that's just the, the same dynamic. I don't I don't think that's going to be enough where you like you want to choose to be on the draw in those mirrors. Actually, sometimes red mirrors do turn out that way. If you're if the red mirrors become very grindy, you actually choose to be on the draw um so that that might turn out to be so that that that's you know that's where I have uh what is it Tundra fumaroli said um the I, I think that's just like you know it it needs to have a meta game where it's killing things. so that to me is a card that you've brought this up that needs to wait for rotation. Because I don't think Lovestruck Beast is going anywhere, and it's just that card is just going to sit in the shadow of Lovestruck Beast for six months. Everyone's going to forget about it, and it might just like be a breakout star in the fall.
0: I can I can legit see it in my mind. That, like, let's say we have opens by then. I don't think we will, but like, if we had opens, right? I can legit see that exact thing happening where it's a forgotten card for a while, then the rotation happens and the mono red deck, like, snow deck is just very good. And I could see myself, like, on turn three, tapping my, uh, or on turn four, tapping three snow lands, killing your thing, activating my creature land, attacking my opponent for like seven, you know, through their three drop or whatever. And you're just like you can see that happen on camera, and your head just like you're like, oh my yeah. god! Now they're and it's like they, they just won the game.
1: And they also like can't wrath you because you have the creature land, Like yeah, you're, you're, s- you're <laughs> set to like you know play your dragon on turn five, and yeah, that's uh, there. There's a lot of good things that can happen there, but that, there's that you know fir- first baseline it needs to cross over, and it's like is my removal spell killing relevant cards?
0: Yeah, maybe I just went a little too high on my list, but I think the top end of this card, like the yeah. ceiling of it is astronaut. V- very right, much so agree. We-
1: and if, you know, the Medigan breaks in the right way and like something pushes Love Struck Beast out, you know, which, you know, we've seen crazier things happen, right? Uh, you know, the, it's, it's de- the potential is definitely there.
0: Absolutely. All right, so I think we're on your number three now. Yep,
1: and okay. this is, uh, I think, one of the more hyped cards in the set. I've actually gotten higher on it as I've thought about it more and r- have recently seen it. This is one of the key cards in that Abzan Yorian deck that I mentioned Corey played that looked really good, and it's In Search of Greatness.
0: I, I actually, like, I just knew. I already have it pulled up on my screen. I knew this is where we were going. Yeah, okay.
1: so the, you know, green, green enchantment. Uh, it says at the beginning of your upkeep, you may, uh, is it, ca- you may cast
0: a... Here, I'm, uh, I'm reading it from the card. At yeah, the beginning yeah. of your upkeep, you may cast a permanent spell from your hand, which is big, that matters. You may cast a permanent spell from your hand with converted mana cost equal to 1, Plus the highest converted mana cost among other permanents you control, without paying its mana cost. If you don't, scry one. So if you don't use the ability, you still get something out of this card.
1: Yeah, and I couldn't remember if it was cast or put onto the battlefield. That was it's the cast. only thing I, I needed which, to clarify. Which matters? There's cast triggers. Yes. But there's a uh, you know, we've over the last two years we've seen so many different uh, very powerful mana engines. This is another one. I'm not saying like this is on the level of wilderness reclamation or. Uh, fires of invention one other thing that, that that or the thing that put those two cards over the top was the fact that you got immediate value you know reclamation you if they didn't you know, sometimes they like wilted it immediately right yeah but if you if you got to untap immediately like you you spent no mana when you played fires on turn four you cast another four drop it's like you spent no mana so you had like no investment on this card that your opponent needed to answer immediately or you were going to bury them in a mana advantage that's not like in search of greatness isn't on that level but it is a lower investment it's only a two-minute spell Uh, It has a higher floor because at worst, it's just scrying every upkeep, which I think is, you know, that's not the worst, right? Like that's, that's one, it's, you know, it's just going to help you find gas, help smooth out your draws. It's going to, you know, it's going to be effective over the course of the game. It's also going to help set its own ability up. Like you're going to scry and be like, I really need a three drop for this turn. You're going to find a a little bit more often. Like I really need to find a four drop because I have the three drop, but I have nothing to cast off of this. You're going to find it more often. You know, like, I have the three and the four, but I need the five to, like, really bury my opponent. You're going to find it a little bit more often. Then, you know, once you've got, like, got this man advantage, say you've cast one or two spells off of it, you're pretty far ahead, but you're, you're, your hand is low. You're almost out of, out of gas. It's going to find more gas. And Like, yeah, you're going to cast those spells probably, but whatever, because that's going to be, you know, sealing the game up. Um, so... I you know I've saw Corey play it to really good effect in this deck. Like he was playing you know Land War Visionary um, and a lot of the the sagas. He's playing Binding the Old Gods, Elspeth Conquers Death. You know had Yorians, uh, Kaya's had a couple six drops at the top of the curve. Garrick Cursed Huntsman was a nice one to just cast for free when you had the, had your five drop. And you know you don't you don't have to go crazy. You don't have to go like all the way up to sevens and eights and, and stuff like that. I think you want to be concentrating mainly on threes and fours. Because you know that's where the curve naturally is. You play this on turn two. You play your three drop, and you plan to cast a free four drop on turn four. So you're at the same pacing actually as Wilderness Reclamation and Fires, where you're getting that double turn, double spell turn on turn four with two four mana cards, uh, and then snowballing from there. That's really impressive to me. I think the fact that it works with any permanent is really important because there's so many good sagas. So it lets you cast, it lets you play this in a more proactive shell and a more reactive shell because you have all this permanent based removal. Um, so I've been really impressed with it. Uh, I haven't seen a ton of it yet, so I'm going a little bit out on a limb, but the thing that really made me push it to number three was I also think it fits really well into Monogreen Devotion and Pioneer.
0: You know, Ooh, est- okay, est- that I kind of like established right?
1: archetype. Two pips of no. devotion, like you just get to, like any spell you get to cast for free, and then nick those them right and cast something else. It doesn't have to be a green permanent. So like your car lets you cast Putting a, free- a burning
0: tree emissary in the oh. play seems very very good off this. Like it, can
1: I, I imagine uh, casting like? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's your upkeep. You're not going to get to use the burning tree mana. Oh, you don't
0: use the mana Yeah, I, forget, it's, I keep forgetting it's your upkeep. Yeah. Uh,
1: so that 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 one's a little worse. But like, say go like turn one elf, turn two this, turn three you can cast uh, the um, Wolf Willow Haven for free, right? Uh, and you do something like that, which will, uh, you know, I guess you could have done that. You, you could have done that on turn two. Uh, like, I guess you can. Oh, that's actually really gas. Turn one elf. Turn to Wolf Willow Haven and untapped land into this. Now I have another two drop in the haven, so I get to cast a three drop for free. You know, ca- cast my Landwar Visionary or my Jade Light Ranger, start digging for my Nykthos, and I already have six Devotion on the battlefield and all my mana untapped. So you're going off. I can imagine going like turn one elf, turn two this, turn three, like you scry. You don't have another two drop or whatever, but you play Vivian. You're, you know, on an empty board, you know, maybe you're a little lucky. Uh, you know, you you untap with it. Maybe you uh, and then you so it's on five, right? And then you cast your Nissa for free, and you have all your mana untapped, and you just ulamog them with your with your Nissa, right? So there there's a lot of really powerful things this card does specifically in that shell. So that's really what pushed it up the list for me.
0: I'm gonna be more of a wait and see with this card. Uh, not sure about it just yet. I don't like the fact that it says. Other permanent. I think it would so be it can't... busted if it worked off itself. Yeah, if it worked off itself, I think this card would be unreal. Yeah, yeah. but it, would, it says would, other. It would be busted. <laughs> yeah, but I can just see myself like obviously this you know dies a doomblade argument, but I can just see myself with, like a control deck if I have like multiple removal spells in my hand or like a counter spell and a removal spell man, where like I just let this resolve on two and then just like deal with their next card or two, and now they just like discarded a card. They just did something for nothing, you know what I mean, kind of stuff. Because, like, you're going to run out of gas, like, pretty quickly if your opponent keeps answering your stuff in play. If, if you're scrying every turn, probably not, though. That's, yeah, that's you're, you're the, probably right that, there. That's kind of like the kicker the for me.
1: The scry one, like, this card does have a low floor, and it, but just raising that floor a little bit with that scry one is another thing that puts it over the top for me. Because I that yeah. would be a huge slide on it. I think your point is, is well-received. Like, you know, the low floor is what you're worried about when you're playing this card in your deck. Uh, but the, the scry itself both raises the floor already and compounds with its own ability to raise the floor because you get to manipulate your draws and find the right card so that you can cast free spells off of it more often than you otherwise would.
0: Mm -hmm. Really good point. Uh, other things I could say about this card. It's the most aptly named card I've seen in a while is in search of greatness because that's what this card is, is actually doing because it's not doing anything fair It's doing something amazing if it's going to be doing stuff. Because, like, you know, free mana, free spells, great stuff. And uh, the artwork on it is some of the cutest stuff I've ever seen. Absolutely love the artwork on this card. So I think we're to my number two. Yes, which you said was Valkyrie, right? It's Valkyrie, So we're going to go to your number two. My number two was Vorinclex, which we've already gone over.
1: So I had that. That's how high I am on Vorinclex. I think this card is just a standard. It's a standard
0: all-star. I don't I, have it high enough on my list for sure.
1: I also think it is now should be played in Mono Green Devotion in Pioneer at least as a one of because you want to have at least one six drop to cast off your In Search of Greatness with your Nyssa. That might be <laughs> a little overkill, but the card is also just powerful enough to me that I think one or two of it is still uh, of them is still good. Because, you know, Elspeth conquers FC's playing Pioneer. There's, you know, there's things it shuts down, I'm, I'm sure. Just look. There, there's there's more than you you always mm-hmm. think. And it's just a, a powerful, aggressive card. Uh, and you're playing some Castle Garren bricks.
0: So this works out pretty well because our number ones are the same as well.
1: Hold on. We're going to wait on the number ones because we're, we're going to do overrated, underrated
0: first. Yeah, so I've already kind of done my overrated, so why don't you do yours as well? What was your overrated again? uh faceless oh, haven faceless. because okay. you know i'm I, again i'm not as high on it as everybody else. i think the card's good obviously i'm not i'm not saying it's bad but it's just one of those ones where like i if I remember it, one of my overrated was a card that was actually good but i was like everyone thinks it's busted and i was like it's just fine so mine is a uh, jorn god of winter okay i like it um
1: so this is a card that is also much like in search of greatness has drawn comparisons to those powerful mana engines very specifically wilderness reclamation uh it is you know very far away from wilderness reclamation one of the things about it is like you never get you know i guess so like you can do the reclamation thing with instance like you know float mana on tap when when you attack um but you're not going to put like really expensive instance in your jorn deck because of the backside you want to be permanent based so you're never really going to get the full value the 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 full effect of what wilderness reclamation did even at jorn's peak um i think while this is a fine card I think it might see a little bit of play it's being viewed by some people as like one of the premier cards in the set a
0: build around yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and I'm skeptical of the three color snow decks like Soltai snow because you have to play so many of the the snow gates. To make yeah, your mana base so many, work,
0: yeah, your basics aren't that great when you're trying to cast three colors as well. Yeah,
1: exactly. So there's a there's a pretty big cost to being a Sultai Snow deck as opposed to being a monocolored Snow deck, where the opportunity cost is much lower. That I don't like, and ultimately, like it's a Wilderness Reclamation that is much easier to answer. You know, the flip side is like you get to cast the other side of it sometimes, and then it you know it does something other than that. Like when you don't need mana, it generates card advantage that uh, some amount of the time. Um, but linking the two is tough. Like it's going to be hard to take advantage of Jorn when you're just playing a bunch of snow permanents so that you can use the backside of it. Uh, there's this. I think there's too many moving pieces. Um, so you know, it you you never get you never get this card to be even as good as the sum of its parts. I think this card is actually worse than the sum of its parts. And while the sum of its parts are pretty good, it's all—it's not as good as people are rating it. And it, the card itself, because it's worse than the sum of its parts, is going to be even worse than that. So uh, I'm i am definitely like, I think this card's okay. I, wouldn't, I don't really expect it to be a major player. I think it's going to be, I think snow decks like that are going to be, you know, fringe decks sort of like elves, but I'm not even sure they're as good. Um, and Jor- I don't even think Jorn it, like is going to be as important of a piece to those decks as Tyvarkel will be to the elf decks.
0: Yeah, I can see people. I gotta agree with you. I can see people building decks around it, like sh- like sh- like eschewing their deck a certain way because of Jorn, and then they're going to be disappointed with the card. Like it just won't be good. Like we'll see Jorn decks. I think that's the thing that's going to happen. We'll see if they're good enough or not. But I think it's a really good um, overrated card. Do you want uh do you want me to since we already did my over, you want me to just go ahead and do my underrated?
1: Yeah, let's do your underrated.
0: All right, so my underrated one, let me make sure I I'm trying to find the card so I get all the wording of it correct. I know the name of it or whatever, but um I want to make sure I get the wording correct cuz it was it's it's a relatively newer card. Yeah, the, That's there's right. a lot
1: of novel length cards in this set.
0: Yeah. Uh here we go. Okay. My underrated card is Bind the Monster. This is a one blue mana enchantment aura. It says enchant creature when blind the monster enters the battlefield, tap Enchanted Creature. It deals damage to you equal to its power. Enchanted Creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. So this is the typical blue removal we've seen over the last few years at, like, common uh, in sets where it, like, taps a creature and it doesn't untap. Usually you're looking at it being four mana and having flash, or, like, three mana and not having flash, like it being, you know, a sorcery yeah, speed thing that doesn't two tap. mana
1: and having some restriction on what it right. can target.
0: Yeah. This is a one mana answer right? So that's huge. You know, we, t- we talked about this if, uh, like a year ago when we were looking at one of the sets when we saw uh, Village Rights. I was like, hey, this is the first time this has ever been printed at one mana. This is huge. It ended up being pretty good, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, there's a lot when, to this card to like.
1: When you're talking about the difference in mana costs, the, the, the biggest jump is from zero to one, and then the next biggest jump is from one to two. Like, you know, the, there's diminishing returns on how much better lowering the cost by one makes a card, uh, or, or I guess diminishing returns on how much worse raising the cost by one makes a card.
0: <laughs> making a five drop into a four drop is nowhere near as big as making a two or three drop into one lower, right? And so I I, I think this card is big for that. Now, we'll talk about it in a second for, for Standard and, and why I like it, possibly for there. This this makes a Mythic from another set a little more playable in Standard in, uh, what is it, Scourge of the Skyclaves is the name of it? Yeah, so with Scourge of the Skyclaves, one of the biggest things that we've seen is we don't have enough reliable ways to damage ourselves in Standard to make it good, because like obviously if we're playing Skyclaves, we're going to play cards to deal damage to our opponent, right? And one of the only ways that we've seen reliably since we don't have shock lands or fetch lands, is the new Mythic uh, lands that you could pay three to put them into play untapped, and it's just like, we're playing these cards that are like, okay, we're hoping to draw one of these lands, so this is another way that you could possibly do that and make sure your creatures get through and that, you know, their life total stays low enough. I think this is also another possible player in Modern, in you know, also skirt of the Skyclave slash Death Shadow decks. This is a card that, while I don't think you're jamming four in a deck, right, or three or two, probably something like one, maybe two. This is a card that could show up in staple modern decks, which is a big thing for a common coming out of a set, right? You know, that's 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 a big deal. You don't see this happen very often in sets. I think this is a card that could show up in sets like that, um, if like mono blue snow aggro is a thing in this format and you need to beat creature decks this is a card that could show up because it's just good enough to remove a blocker for a turn or two it doesn't matter if you take three or four right like you don't care like the fact that you're using this mana and then you're still leveling up your 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 snow uh your snow creature i forgot the name of the of the thing ascendant spirit yeah, Ascendant Spirit. I was gonna say the spirit, yeah. If you're still leveling up your ascendant spirit, so like this frees up a lot of your mana in blue, because that's something that blue decks have never really had, is a removal spell at one mana, right? Like you have lightning bolt, you know, you have like path to exile that all these blue decks have always splashed for, and now you've got one that's kind of similar in power level. It does some damage to you, but if you can either make that negligible for your deck, like you don't it doesn't matter that you're gonna be losing, you know, three or four life, or if it's a plus for your deck, I think this card has the chance to be very good.
1: Yeah, um, I was I was skeptical when you you know first said this as your most underrated card in the set, but I, I 100% agree with everything you said. So it it feels like like I I had all the pieces of this card, but I I never like put it all together. And I agree, like when you put it all together, like you know this is going to be a card that sees more play than you expect. You know, in in older formats, I think it's all dependent on the synergy with Death Shadow and Scourge of the Skyclaves because it, it's a much worse removal spell than you know Fatal Push and all the other options. Being at this, sorcery this speed, might al-
0: yeah, it might allow a Scourge of the Skyclaves deck in Pioneer as well. Sorry, yeah,
1: yeah, and Pioneer, yeah, Pioneer. Um, you know, where we haven't seen them, and then in Standard, like I agree, like this is a better mono blue removal spell than we've seen in a while. You also have Ravenform, which is a fine one that can answer things like the Great Henge.
0: Yeah, because I was going to compare this to... What's the one that Ravenform was kind of like? It was Rapid Hibernization or whatever. And, and but it left them with yeah. the 3-3, you know?
1: Those are... Uh, you know, Ravenform's a sorcery, which makes it, I think, very different than those two cards, but...
0: You get what I'm saying? It's in that similar vein of, like, yeah. what the one-mana blue removal spells have looked like in the past.
1: Yeah. Um, and, you know, the... But th- this one is really just, like, a straight removal spell. I think it'll uh, obviously, like, work better in aggressive decks. I'm, I'm kind of kicking myself for not, like... For not realizing how much potential this card has in, in blue aggressive decks specifically, because you know me, I love a good blue aggressive deck. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. This card is perfect for blue aggressive decks. Like, can you
0: imagine that the blue shitters deck or whatever you want to call it that you and I played? Can you imagine this card being available to us in that format? Cause like, remember what was that shitty card we played? Uh, deep freeze or whatever to beat, Lyra? Yeah, uh,
1: to beat, um, no, it wasn't to beat Lyra, it was to beat Niv-Mizzet.
0: Niv-Mizzet, yeah, just to yeah. beat a big creature. Yeah, we need to be able to yeah. just beat a big, dumb, idiot creature. Can,
1: yeah. can you imagine casting on Rotting Regisaur? Oh my god. <laughs> just like, yeah, I'll take six or seven or whatever. I can't remember it's power or toughness, but like, I'll just take the uh, damage, it's, I think it's, discard uh, a card every turn, counter your yeah, next three spells, you're dead.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. And like, this is one of those cards that's like that. Like, when I, when I see this card being good, I see it being very good. Yeah. yeah, I don't see this as being like a solid role player. I see, this as being like, I actively want this card. The thing I think might hold it back in modern, and the reason I say like you might not see people playing a bunch of them, is a the shadow decks don't play a ton of blue anymore, and b like when is this really that good? Like, what matchup do you want to like tap one of their things? I will say this: if you have a if you have a problem with like some of the prowess decks, this is probably pretty decent against like their one or two prowess creatures early, or like yeah, I'll just take the one off this creature right now. You know, because I'm casting this with sorcery speed, and they probably can't grow their creature. And then that thing doesn't untap. Plus, it's dealing a little bit of damage to me, but I don't want to leave their creature around for too long, kind of thing. Uh, it's another cre- its another card type for Goyf, you know, that we talked about as well. If you're doing any any versions with that as well, so I—I I don't know. I, I, I this card jumped off the page to me when I saw it. Yeah,
1: I, I do not I don't really see it getting played in modern just because. Um, like, you don't really want. They're it neither it in need of better of more removal spells like this is worse than their removal options and they don't really need help dealing themselves damage you know fetch a shock straight rate thoughts is is plenty um but in pioneer with scourge of the skyclaves and maybe in standard with scourge of the skyclaves like this could put you over the top and turn that into a playable card in those formats at which point like that's a really good card it's also the kind of card that you know could really help push things like the the big green creatures out of the format because those decks always operate at this really efficient level that the green decks can't keep up with. And then it makes a card like Tundra Fumarol better, because early on it's going to kill Scourge of the Skyclaves, and you're going to really want that tempo in those matchups. So this is the kind of deck that, like, if it comes together, could get the metagame churning in a way that gets us out of the, the green dominance that we've seen for the last three or four months.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know, the more, the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, it's one of those cards I go up and down on, right? Like, yeah. But like I said, you don't. Know, it's, like, yeah, it's not, not really a staple sure
1: removal it. spell. Like this is yeah, not man. like a card that's yeah. going to fundamentally reshape the format. It's a card that is very powerful in a very narrow application. But it's it's so powerful in that application that it can elevate those kinds of decks, the blue aggro decks, skirts of the Skyclave decks. Like it, it's it's a very it's a very powerful role player in the decks that that it's good in. And so like don't don't think that we're saying this is like you know the next good removal spell. This is not like a heartless act that's going to see play across a wide variety of decks and you're you're always going to see it around it's just a it, it's a narrowly powerful removal spell and th- those are the kind of cards that get overlooked
0: absolutely all right what's next we still have your underrated yes
1: my underrated okay. is another blue card it is glimpse the cosmos this is one of the giant payoffs so it's a sorcery speed anticipate and if you control a giant you can cast it from your graveyard for a single blue mana and if you do you exile it so you kind of fla- it's kind of flashback um, so this card, when I first read it, I kind of d- immediately dismissed it. I, th- I was like, we've been through this with, uh, see the truth, the sorcery feet anticipate that turned into ancestral. If you cast it from your graveyard. And I was like, yeah, like I've, I've been tricked by this card before. I got tricked by See the truth. I'm not going to get tricked again. I'm not like, going to
0: get hurt like that again, Ross. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I was building a deck in, uh, for a, uh, versus a show. And, um, I was, I was building the deck and i wasn't even going to put glimpse of the cosmos in. i can i'm trying to remember which one it was like um and i ended up like putting it in just to add more new cards to my deck and I'm like you know when we're doing versus shows we just want to you know try out as many new cards as possible and i was like yeah i'll just try it this once and i'll it'll be bad and i'll tell people it's bad and then we'll move on and it was just awesome and that you know cory agreed it was like yeah that card looked really good for you i think it was sort of a rampy style deck so i was like Turn two, casting it, finding my turn three ramp spell more consistently, and then later in the game when my ramp deck needed to find the the last piece of gas to end the game, you just flashed it back for one mana and found that piece of gas. So, uh, and it just looked really impressive. So then Corey played like a Grixis Giants deck and it was good in there. And then I played another Giants deck and it was good in there. Like we've played it three or four times now Versus and it's just been really good every time. And obviously like it's only good in Giants decks. If the Giant stacks aren't good, it like might not see play, but this is a card that I was ready to just completely dismiss and I've just been very impressed with it, um, especially in, in those teamer sort of ramp shells. You know, the, the being able to find your Cultivate or your uh, Beanstalk Giant Fertile Footsteps for turn three as reliably as possible is really nice, and those decks, like, they don't need to interact on turn two all the time, and they especially don't need to interact on turn two as much because on turn four, you can ramp into a Battle of Frost and Fire, and you have a Sweeper that can catch you up that also works well with Giants, so I'm, I'm excited to... I've played a, a Teamer Giant Ramp deck. It wasn't great, but obviously like it could use some refining. It's playing a lot of the Teamer Ramp cards that you know. And I, I think the Giant theme for it is going to be so low cost because you're already playing Beanstalk Giant and Bonecrusher Giant. So I think all, the only other Giants I had was like cyclone, a couple Cyclone Summoners at the top of the curve. Uh, and like maybe you don't even need that. Maybe you can get by with just the eight. Uh, and this card has just been really impressive to me when I expected it to be just bad.
0: Look, Ross, you don't have to sell me that hard on blue Anticipate-like cards, all right? I already, like, have an affinity for playing horrible blue draw spells and, like, overplaying them in blue-red decks, so I'm all in on cards like this.
1: I mean, sometimes I drew it and, like, I had a giant on the battlefield and I just spent three mana and got, like, a mini dig-through time, right?
0: Yeah, like, that sounds great. Yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> it was... It, it, I'm... the the.
0: It, I was trying to think of a way to, like... If, the thing is, you don't have enough giants, and it's probably not good enough. But i try trying to think of a way to get this into Pioneer, into Arclight Phoenix, because it's like a it's like a two for one like kind of situation, yeah. you know. But like you have to yeah, play Bone Crusher, then, and then what? Like no other giants. Yeah, there's just this, not you need enough. cheap
1: giants, and cheap giants yeah. is an oxymo- oxymoron. So
0: you have to play some. Uh, you have to think, play some. Some what do you call it? Creatures, some shapeshifters or yeah. something. But
1: I'm not, uh, yeah. I think ultimately the difference between this card and see the truth is that you realize the back half of it way more often with glimpse than see the truth before, like, and you know, so with see the truth, like it was, it was just so hard to get it. There were very few cards that could even cast it from the graveyard. You, know, you needed to like untap with a Jace, which was already a good thing. So like, or, or like resolve your four mana, you know, um, whatever the red card was the the X spell that cast flashback two spells uh and like you know almost anything you target with that is going to put you ahead so it often was overkill whereas this is like feels like very relevant value most of the time you're getting it and it's just so easy like you just have eight or ten giants in your deck maybe 12 you know something in that range and like mo i was, you know there were ter- there were games where like i cast it on turn two and didn't flash it back until turn se- seven but that was perfectly fine like I didn't yeah, need to flash enough. back until turn seven. That was it. Was exactly what I wanted when I wanted to be casting it. So, uh, and I don't think there was a game where like I ended it with a glimpse of the cosmos of my graveyard. Like if I drew one, I got both halves of it every yeah.
0: time. Yeah, and th- that's where it is for me. If that happens in a deck, I'm I'm in for bullying. Yes. Yeah. Right? So the
1: cards, the cards floor was a lot higher than I first anticipated.
0: I see what you did there, by the way. I see what you did there. I don't think you did it on purpose, but it was amazing. I did not. (laughs) If you just seamlessly put that in there without cracking a smile, that seemed like, uh, that was good. All right, speaking of good, I think it's time for the drum roll. It's time for the number one card reveal, because you and I actually selected our, the same number one card yet again. You've actually played with this card quite a bit, and have just been singing its praises, and you love it, and you keep talking about how it's, like, impressed you more than you even thought it would. So I'm going to kind of, like, let you drive the talk here, and the card that we're talking about, I think some people at home probably already know this because they've heard us talk about it before, it's Goldspan Dragon.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, you know, three red red, four, four, Flying Haste. Whenever it becomes the target of a spell or attacks, you get a treasure token, and you all treasures you control have sacrifice, make two mana of any color. So the, there's, you know, already just five mana, four, four, Flying Haste is your baseline, and it has to have like some other ability. And... When I first read this card, I was like, "This card looks, you know, pretty favorable in that of cards in that category." I don't think it's at the level of Glorybringer, but it looks really good. You know, we've talked about the obvious pairing with any sort of two man interaction, kind of like with Nissa, where you go like Nissa, untap breeding pool, you know, Ether Gust, Noxious Grasp. I guess you could untap over and for that, uh, you know, uh, or counter and negate like any sort of two man interaction. Here, you do similar things with like you know, Stomp, you know. Uh, heady theft, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of different stuff, and you know that that works really, really well. There's actually one that Brian Gottlieb tweeted out about a while ago, and it's the the new protection spell. The one green get a uh, target creature gets a plus, and plus one counter and it gains uh, you know hexproof till a turn.
0: Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the new the new version. Yeah, of the card,
1: it's yeah. from it's from the set, and you know even if you even if you tap out for the dragon and you haven't gotten to attack with it, it says when it becomes the target of any spell. So when your opponent goes to kill it, you get a treasure, still with the spell on the stack, you sacrifice it for two green, you counter their thing, target your dragon, you get another treasure, because it doesn't say spell an opponent controls, when you target it with spells, you get treasures, uh, and then you can sack that treasure, and now you have three mana to play with, you know, maybe it's probably it should be in your combat step if your opponent is smart, if they did this in your main phase, like, wow, you just blew them out, good for you, but, you know, you, you can now attack and have two treasures post-combat and play a four-drop, right? <laughs> After they tried to kill your 5-drop and failed, you also got to play a 4-drop. Um, so so that combo looks really sweet, you know, just to protect it. Um, but ultimately, like, I haven't even done a whole lot of that. I've literally just, like, played it when my opponent was tapped out, made a treasure, and then just had it million mana on the next turn. Like, if they didn't kill it immediately, they were dead. I've done some things where, where I killed it. Like, I've, I've used the treasure in a whole different number of ways, and at this point, like, I still don't think it's as good as Glorybringer, but I, it's closer than I first expected. Like it, it's it's in the same tier as Glorybringer. I think it's below it, but it's not by much. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I think I think this card is just. I don't know what I can say that you haven't said. This card's absurd. I think it's S-
1: sinking unreal. the sinking the extra mana into Shatter Spell Smashing. Also, really fun. By the yeah, way,
0: just I think this. I think also one of the reasons I have this at number one, besides the obvious reason of it being broken and very good. Is I think that this is the card or one of the cards in the set that immediately will have impacts on standard. Like, you know, some of these other cards we talked about. Oh, wait till these cards rotate out, or wait till you know we think this might card may be good if this card is no longer play, or if this card gets pushed out, or once this card rotates out. I don't think this card has any limitation to it. And the fact that as long as a deck has red mana and wants to cast a five drop, this yeah. this, this card is going e- to get played.
1: Even in reactive decks, if you foretell saw coming, and then you can just tap out for this on turn five. And make a treasure and counter their next spell. Like I could see, pl- I could play- see playing this in an Is it Control deck, and then you have another like an added dimension to what you're doing. You know, maybe you have negate and essence scatter in your deck too, and you have you know two mana red burn spells. So th- this card to me like actually opens up avenues for more reactive decks to have a more proactive game plan if that's what they need to be doing in a matchup, or just to be able to apply more pressure to their opponent, to be able to deal with planeswalkers more efficiently. Like everything that dragons do, right? You know, that's what Haste Dragons do. They kill Planeswalkers they are finishers for aggro decks, or they're really powerful mid-range thre- threats. Like, but this one, because it's so cheap, it, it, it feels like Teferi to me, right? When when I remember reading Teferi, and I'm talking about Hero of Dominaria here, and I just read it and I just thought, so this is a three-mana Planeswalker that does everything that five-mana Planeswalkers do. Um, that's messed up, right? And I, I had the same feeling I remember when I read Sword of Feast and Famine, I was like, the main problem with equipment is that like you have to like spend so much mana to it. Yeah, that's it. And, and yeah,
0: you're, that's like, you like, you get. get
1: and you get tempoed yeah. out when they kill your creature. But this one is like is free. I think this card's really good. Um, you know, and it ultimately ended up being awesome uh, with Stoneforge Mystic. So I think this card has has a you know that dynamic going on. And I've you know I've played it in a I played it in a teamer ramp deck for, to start, and like it wasn't even that good in that deck, but it was still just a good card. You know, I would hit them off of... I I remember hitting two off of Genesis Ultimatum and, like, casting another giant spell post-combat because I just had four mana... Like, I had that four mana and whatever lands I hit off the ultimatum. I think I'm going to cast another ultimatum post-combat. Something ridiculous like that. I remember I have played it in a a cool mono-red deck that was going bigger and had a treasure theme. I was playing Magda. I was playing the vehicle that is not actually a part of the set. It's like, you know, know, there's like 20 cards always that are... In standard now, um, and it's it's a one red red vehicle that's a five one with trample, It's crew two, and says sacrifice two... either says two treasures or two artifacts. I can't remember. Uh, uh, return it from your graveyard to your hand. So if you have spare treasures and a bunch of mana late game, like you can just buy the vehicle back. Magda, like whenever it becomes tapped, you make a treasure. So I would curve Magda into the vehicle. Uh, you know, if I couldn't attack, I would at least get to crew the vehicle and get my treasure, and then play dragon on turn turn four. So I was guaranteed to ramp into it as part of my normal curve. You know, I had some artifact synergies. They ended up not being good, but you know, the the dragon was great. I played it at the top end of my curve in the Rakdos Berserkers, which was taking advantage of boast, right? Because of Burji, and so you, yes, you got a bunch of treasures. You you had extra mana to sink into boast, and then you were playing the two drop that makes dragons when it went with boast, and like got cheaper when you had more dragons. So you know, it worked multiple ways there. It was great in that deck. And let's be honest, like th- there's a lot of cool synergies here. That's th- that's the window dressing. For the most part, it's just been good as a five mana four for flying haste creature.
0: Yeah, I mean, like we're just scratching the surface of how good this card is, right? Once we start to actually play with it and cards around it, we're gonna find more little things to go with it, like to maximize being, like, it. Mm-hmm. But right, like, I mean,
1: it, like it's basically a three mana four for flying haste.
0: Like, yeah, I'm thinking about it in like the red blue decks that we're talking about, where like you'll up negate and scatter, but you also have uh Crusher giant so you also have shock and, and petty and, theft uh, and like and petty theft attached to this and then like that means that you could probably play the uh your underrated card the glimpse of the cosmos and this helps you kind of like churn through your deck more i mean like i i see this card in decks i want this card in decks where like i have a lot of ways to use my mana so i'm not ever ending a game with like three treasure tokens in play and nothing to do with that mana because here's the thing there's going to be games where you attack with this, and they kill it, and you get the treasure. And if you can't use the treasure right then, like, that's not the best interaction for you. But if, like, if you have, like, Bonecrusher Giants and glimpses of the cosmos and stuff along with this, you always have ways to, like, utilize your mana, right? Like, you're using Bonecrusher early to shock something. Now you have a creature in layaway that you can cast later. You have a glimpse of... Glimpse the cosmos, right? I am saying it, the right name? Yeah. You have a glimpse of the cosmos in the graveyard, so now you can cast that from your graveyard. Just, you know, all this stuff that gets recastable and reusable of your mana... And this is all attached to a four-four flying haste for five. Like, I, obviously, you don't want to get this spell. That that's where it's gonna, you know, have its have its problem. Is anytime your opponent can counterspell this, it's it's not gonna be able to do what it's, it's gonna be doing. Anytime this card gets into play and does any part of what it's supposed to be doing, I think this card is going to be a house.
1: Yeah, and uh, like I'm imagining very early on in this previous season, I played an is it control deck that was using uh, Behold the Multiverse. And it, you know, being kind of a flash deck, and I had uh, you know, Brazen Borrower and Bone Crusher Giant, and I'm just imagining like I played Neutralize in the deck, just play, saw it coming, and it, the deck like needed a little bit more pressure. I was just put Goldsman Dragon in it, and like now you have both Adventures as two minute interaction with the treasure. You have saw it coming coming off of uh foretell you can just foretell a card with that mana to like press an advantage if that's what you want to be doing and it gives you that pressure and if you like end up generating a couple treasures like you know say you attack with it and then your opponent kills it and you just didn't have the interaction spell in your hand you know you have two treasures and then now you have this this two extra mana to use i also had shark typhoon and chatter skull smashing to sink extra mana into so uh i I kind of makes me kind of want to try that deck again
0: yeah i mean tell you what when you're gonna t- try it again, please send it to me. I am your resident red blue mage since you no longer play. Uh, yeah, since I've, I've
1: officially become Raktos guy now.
0: Yeah, you've become Raktos guy. I'm red. I don't know if you've seen me. Uh, if you've seen me stream lately, but I'm like I always force red blue uh, super often in like the cubes and stuff because I think it's very good. And like that's just that's just my jam. I love I yeah. love spells and stuff like that. So, all right, well that's gonna be it for our top eight. We have a few more things to cover real quick before we're done with this show. I'm um, supposed to say uh, let me make sure that we get to cover this this week. Uh, we do have a sponsor. It's Barrister and Man. Uh, Make sure to check it out. It's Man of Two N's. Um, Great company, great owner. It's owned by a Magic player. I don't know what else we could say about this guy that makes him sound even more great. All the stuff's, like, handmade and made really well. It's uh, a lot of products, like, I'm thinking of the ones that I personally own. I own, like, 10 different bars of soap, a couple of different hand soaps from this, and a bunch of, like, shaving and beard uh, so what's the right word I'm looking for here? Shaving and beard... Um, pro, uh,
1: products? I don't know.
0: Pro, I guess products, yeah. It's stuff that just helps out with that, right? Like, um, I, I
1: used the aftershave balm again a couple days ago when
0: I trimmed up my beard, and it's just a revelation. It's Here's the thing. I hated aftershave before I started using Bearish Sturman's. This sounds like those infomercials. You know, do, do you hate aftershave? There's got to be another way. Really, it would, it, dude, it would be the really bad actor, and you see him put the aftershave on, and it's like it's like Kevin from Home Alone. That, that's what you do. You just do the video of Kevin. Really like, he just like sucks in his face and ah! you know, start yelling. I've never had that problem with the aftershave balm. And I'll tell you this. I've never had my skin feel smoother, softer, and better than after. And, and like my skin is just much healthier. Too. Since yeah, the the balm, It's like a.
1: It's like a cream or a lotion. It's not like when I think of aftershave, I usually think of something that resembles more like mouthwash. It's like a. It's yeah. like Pure alcohol. It
0: literally is mouthwash, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> like
1: basically. But this is like. Uh, that you is know, not a
0: condo- We do not condone anyone for drinking uh, aftershave as mouthwash for the shows. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> disclaimer. Disclaimer. We, we did not just say yeah. to do that. But so, um,
1: yeah, great products from them. Um, you can use our discount code to get fifteen percent off. That is uh, MTG Rants.
0: Yeah, they switched it up to MTG Rants. They they're up now with the new name.
1: Yeah, so fifteen percent off your purchase. It's just very high quality stuff. You know, um, you know all the soaps and hand soaps. I've been, you know, we've both been now using them for about a year. I'd say a little little less. Yeah, I think. A
0: little, at least half a year. Uh, the, one of the biggest things I can say too is make sure you ch- even if like you've gotten the things you need from them and you're like oh I'll you know I'll check back again next year and re up on some of the stuff I need. Make sure you're checking every few months or at least maybe every few weeks because they do have some seasonal stuff. Like I have a, uh, I have one that might be coming back up onto the site soon. It's, it's, uh, it's like a, I think it's like an aftershave or something. I forget exactly what it is, but it's baseball scented. Right. And so it, it's only sold around, you know, the summer-ish times. Spring so, and know, summer it's, and it's like fresh cut grass. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. yeah it smells, yeah. It pine tar, fresh cut grass. I mean, like it's one of the things when you hear about it, you're like, that's kind of strange. And then I opened it up and smelled, I was like, okay, this is actually awesome. You <laughs> know, like everything I I've ever wanted to smell like. I felt I felt eleven again at like the Breck baseball field with my hat my hat on backwards like Griffey you know yeah, yeah. The backwards hat on like Griffey and I'm just sweating through my cap because it's hundred degrees outside because it's Louisiana and I'm loving every second of it trying to hit dingers and stuff so make sure you check back for a lot of stuff because I knew that one was um that one sold out quite quickly. Uh, last year so if you want to make sure you get your hands on that make sure you're checking it out as soon as possible again barristerandman.com man with two ends make sure you check it out and mcg rants is your code for 15 percent off we did actually have a mailbag question for this week as well ross i don't think we're gonna get to overrated underrated this week in fact let's just do an overrated underrated show sometime soon so i we was start trying literally to going
1: those. to suggest that exact same thing we're already at two hours Yeah, I like you read my mind.
0: I'm starving. I'm starving, too. So um, because we're doing this in the afternoon and I'm actually I've been exercising a lot more lately. Have I told you about this. I started started like working out again. That's smart. Yeah. So I'm like getting in better shape uh, and like I'm just eating a lot more and a lot more often, which is awesome. Like that's actually my favorite thing about working out and being in shape. It's like I just have an excuse to be like just eat like a fat person. You know, what I mean, just go ham on food. Uh, I've been eating unbelievably clean and I feel so much better and stuff, too, as well. And I've been doing more legs than I ever have in the past, like making sure I don't skip leg day and stuff like that. And so, like, that's big. I will say this, you know, I hadn't really worked out much in a long time. The first day after I did squats and stuff, it's the worst feeling <laughs> in the world. I just could not walk. Like, thankfully, I have no, I, I could like, I could waddle from my bedroom to my uh, my office because in the same house, I don't have anywhere else to go. So that was pretty nice. But uh, we actually have a question from our lovely editor uh, Brent Wagner uh, this week. He says, I made a hot take with some Magic friends that that it is possible that Magic becomes a best-of-one format in Standard and Historic while printing more cards that can tutor for other cards in the sideboard zone. Examples like Karn, Granted, uh, Vivian, Mastermind's Acquisition. Do you think that that is a possibility or likely? I'm going to answer both of these questions real quick. I don't think it's exceptionally likely. I do think that it's possible and that you may see some people actually move into tournaments like that. I think that's actually a, a cool idea for FNM at your at your store if you want to like make it more accessible to uh you know non super competitive people because it makes their decks cheaper and easier and then they don't get intimidated by hey, how do I sideboard in these matchups? Like what do I do? etc. They can just show up with their 60 cards and play their 60 cards, it's best of one. You can get five or six rounds in, in like three hours. You
1: get more variety of who you're playing against.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and like, it's not the typical FNM, because I've heard a lot, you know, FNM experiences where, you know, you have the people that are there and they have like the top end decks and they're like really well versed. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can play an FNM with whatever you want, but they'll play against like the beginner person, right? And like, I've had this happen. Like I wanted to test once in real like IRL because I wanted to know how my deck worked IRL because it was the first time that I ever played a a Wilderness Reclamation deck. And I wanted to make sure that I got through all of it correctly, like fumbling with my hands. You know what I mean? You know, instead of like just clicking through it because it's easier when they have all the stops for you online. And I remember my first round opponent was like, you know, a 16 year old that like just learned the game and kind of, you know, they're playing their like homebrew deck and I'm over here, like, alright, I'll untap my lands the third time for this turn or whatever. And they're like, wait, what's going on? So I'll like, you I'll know, float like 14 I was like, red, a, 12 blue, and seven green. This is an awful experience for this person. Like at one point his eyes just glazed over and he just sat in his chair. And like I could have I could have been like, yeah, I'll float 17 white. And he'd been like, yep, I don't have a planes in play. You <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. kind of thing. Like he would have just been like, yeah, that's fine. You know, and now I thing. get your
1: lunch money. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> that's, exactly. That's right? what this card and says. Like, I know it's
1: in German, but
0: Yeah. And so, like, yeah, they had to deal with that kind of, you know, thing. And like, that's one of his three matches that night. And like that might turn him off of the game, right? And so I think the variety of getting to play more people, playing best of one, yeah, your losses will suck a little bit more if you get mana screwed, right? I think you should give everybody a free mulligan if you do the the best of one, or you should think about it at the lower ends, you know, if it's FNM versus like, you know, PTQ or something or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's a possibility. I'm intrigued by the idea. I don't think it's likely right now because we're just so entrenched with best of three.
1: Yeah. Um. So, well... I, I don't I think it's a great
0: question, by the way. I want to get out there. I think uh, it's a great. Question. It's a very
1: interesting question. Um, ultimately, I, there's a one aspect of it that I think Brent is overlooking, um, and uh, what and uh, I think he, the there's an astute observation that these wish kind of cards are built uh, in part with best of one in mind because you know best of one is a thing on arena. A lot of people do play it, and so they're trying to you know. I, I
0: played a lot. By yeah,
1: way. The, the, those are you know. Good stop gaps to build into best of one decks, and and like you know, it's fun to have that have those options in best of one deck building. So I I think it's it's smart to realize that like that's where those designs are coming from. But I would not be at all afraid of ever best of one supplanting best of three. That's not what's going on. Best of one is augmenting best of three, and that's part of what there's been a lot of uh, there's a lot of anxiety within the the old heads of Magic. But almost all of it unfounded, right? It's where you get like everybody yelling, you know, this is going to kill magic. This is going to kill magic with not a hundred percent, but a lot of things. And what's gone on is magic has, you know, grown so much more popular in the last decade than it was in the 2000s, right? You know, the 2010s were a huge decade of growth. And with that growth has come a lot of changes. You know, the game has had to adapt to its new reality, has to appeal to a wider base, but. Part of appealing to a wider base means expanding the number of offerings, the range of offerings, and the number of ways that you can, uh, you know, engage with the game. You know, we have a lot more, you know, even outside of the game itself, we have a lot more cosplayers and things like that. There, you know, GPS grew into something that was very much disconnected with the competitive thing, which is how they started.
0: It's an entire weekend, like it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a it's a festival yeah. now, it's not just a tournament. All, all,
1: yeah. all of those stuff, all of those things are different manifestations of the game's growing popularity, right? And there's, there's always, when those things happen, there's always a lot of fear that those things are happening at the expense of the competitive side of things, and while I think you can argue that the competitive side of things has been neglected to some degree, I don't think that it's being neglected like um because of, of these expanding offerings. Those things are happening because of other demand that is growing outside of, of competitive play, right? So the, they're not necessarily related. It's like, you know, maybe we're getting the same share of a growing pie or our share is diminishing, but we're getting the same amount and maybe we want a little bit more, things like that. So the idea that like, you know, they're, they're printing these with the, the intention of moving to best of one entirely for competitive play is go, is taking it too far. They are printing them to, you know, to help out best of one to some degree, though they are just fun cards in general, you know, and fave, you know, fave wishes saw play in best of three a lot. You know, uh, Karn is, has seen play in best of three, Vivian, Arkbow Ranger, uh, a, a lot of these effects have seen play in, in best of three. Um, so, you know, the, they, but there, it's I, I I'm not willing to go that far that like you know best of three is going away because when it comes to competitive play like sideboarding is a really key element and that that needs to be maintained. Um, so you know maybe I'm wrong and I, I think it would be a huge mistake to do that. Um, you know, but that's that's where I see things and I do like the the point that you made where you know having that best of one might be better for for newer players. I think it's an easier entry point uh, in in i'm I'm less inclined to talk about like the the you know team of reclamation and the problems of that because I think that's gonna happen in best of one anyway. and honestly, like best of one often has more linear decks, which is maybe a little bit worse. but i'm I'm really amenable to the point about sideboarding being very intimidating and being a place where I think a lot of newer players lose a lot of equity in their
0: matches. like I, I still do I do personally.
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, it's an incredibly difficult thing. And the thing, the reason sideboarding is so difficult is because it requires a very um, in-depth knowledge of the game, of the fundamentals of magic. You have to really understand your game plan and your opponent's game plan and know how to pro- properly adjust your game plan to beat theirs. You have to basically be like the head, like the head coach of a pro basketball team pro sports team right like you have to design the game plan and and that's really hard because it requires like you know much higher level understanding than knowing that playing one drop two drop three drop is really powerful like yeah right uh why
0: why is this card bad in this matchup you know like
1: yeah and it even takes you know more uh you know higher level understanding than knowing like how to build your deck to maximize one two like that one two three curve right you know, that, that's a difficult thing you know you know and you can you know, make some simple assumptions build a mathematical model maybe and like get it down you know Carson does interesting stuff to that to that degree but when it comes down to it sideboarding especially on the fly against an opponent where like you're not 100% sure what's in their sideboard maybe you're 80% sure because you, you have a lot of, of understanding and that's also a part of sideboarding like you have to understand what your opponent's doing and new players don't they just don't know like they, they just don't have the experience and they don't have the format knowledge. Uh, so that, like that's the you know hardest entry point from a skill perspective for newer players. So giving them an option to get into Magic and build their skill a little bit uh, without having to worry about the, like you know the the biggest block or the biggest stumbling block is really nice.
0: Absolutely. All right, Ross, if you wanted to
1: hear a little more of your rants, where would they go? <laughs> Best place is my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunneds. That's H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Uh, You know, one-stop shop for all my content, as well as a good place to ask me questions as I do try to respond to people as much as possible. Then there's my written content on Star City Games. My articles go up uh, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. This week's article was all about Starnheim Unleashed. That one is live now. Uh, Not a card that made my top eight list, but a card that I think is interesting in certain shells, especially with Zika's Chariot. I love the idea of going turn two foretell, turn three something, maybe Skyclave Apparition, so you get some interaction. Turn four Chariot, turn five, make two angels, crew the Chariot, make a third angel. Let's go. Got them. Yeah. yeah sounds great. And then you even have a, you know, a uh, a Chariot that survives a Sweeper, you know, that, that could be Sweet really good. Sweet
0: Chariot.
1: Uh, so uh, I, that's, that's a big thing for me. I also show some other shells as well. Um, then there is my... Uh, the web show versus live that I co-host with Corey Baumeister twice a week. We're on the star city games, Twitch channel Tuesdays and Thursdays from one to 4 PM Eastern. Uh, We are live there. And if you can join us live, we take questions right from the audience. We have a great time. Uh, you know, playing whatever is relevant. We've been, you know, testing out lots of brews. We did last week, we did a viewer submitted deck list show. We do that every preview season and occasionally, you know, even outside of preview seasons. So if you follow us on Twitter, you do get alerted as to when that's happening. And, you know, you can get your deck list featured on versus live, which usually comes from uh, comes along with some feedback from the, the two of us as well, uh, you know, as we play the deck. And uh, if you can't catch us live, you can watch the VODs on the Star City Games YouTube channel. The following day, they get uploaded at 5 p.m. Eastern or by 5 p.m. Eastern. Um, and then finally, there is my Twitch channel. I've not been active recently. I promise once my computer gets fixed, um, I, I will start streaming again. You know, there's always doldrums at the end of the year. There's just not a lot going on. Everything gets stale. So I just hadn't had a lot of motivation and then my computer died and that and then I really had no motivation. Uh, so working my way back into that, you know, again, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll get be fully abreast of when I make my return. Tannen, if people wanted to listen to your inferior rants, where might <laughs> they go?
0: Uh, my Twitter is the Grace. Follow me on there for all kinds of stuff. Um, I do have a Twitch, and I've actually been active lately. It's just TannenGrace, Grace, uh, mostly limited lately, and there should be a decent bit of it. I think starting Thursday. I think as the uh comes out, so you will probably be listening to this show. The early Wednesday, access event or- is
1: Wednesday. It's Wednesday. The early access event is Wednesday. Okay,
0: I, I'm not in the early access event and, yeah. uh, I, anymore. I don't know how. I don't know, how,
1: I don't it know if it, it... Does it pop off the next day or does it take till it's Friday? Usually,
0: it's usually the next day. Okay. I, I, I believe the set is live Thursday. I'm not 100% on that. So I will be drafting the ever-living crap out of the set. Uh, I like it a lot. It looks really cool. I am very interested. Um, it's usually how I get my sets on Arena because I'm Arena rich and stuff. So I just play a lot of that stuff. So, uh, let's go. Uh, come show up. I may do a stream before then. I've been enjoying the cubes on Arena quite a bit or whatever. But, anyway. I hope you draft
1: a shit ton of that cantripping hill giant that has foretell. Oh,
0: I, I will. Yeah. Oh, I will. Trust me. I will. Um, so, yeah, definitely uh, come help help me, you know, fumble my way through the format and figure it out. And uh, we usually play at a pretty high mythic ra- uh, rank as well. Uh, like, all the last couple of seasons, I've been up to top 10 in top 15 and top 20. That is pretty times, high. So. I, I play a lot of limited, Ross. So... <laughs> Uh, I got to single digits, I think, uh, for like one of the first times ever recently, so that was kind of cool. So, uh, just, if you if you like, uh, you know, if you like drafting and, and some pressure on it, or whatever, that that's a lot of fun. Plus, we do some we do some fun stuff too. And then, if a good, if there's a standard deck I like with the new cards, or whatever, I will definitely play the hell out of that. And then when Ross gets his stuff together, we have a little thing in the works that we might start doing with some co-streaming. So, uh, I'll be looking for that in the future. As for the cast itself, there are a few things that you need to know. We do have a Twitter. Uh, it's at MTG Rants. Just make sure you follow us on there. If you don't, that's where all the newest uh, newest episodes get put down as quickly as possible. You know, it's the easiest way to find it there. If you don't have some other kind of, uh, you know, if your program itself that you listen to tells you when we're there. We do some um, cool retweets on there. Um, every now and then we give some stuff away. Uh, and we have some sponsor stuff on there too, which we're working with uh, possibly another sponsor here soon. So there might be some cool stuff on Twitter. So keep abreast of that. Um, we have a Discord. There's a link on the Twitter for it as well. It's very, very active. Make sure you check the stuff out there. And we do have a patreon is patreon.com slash uh i believe it's mtg rants if not just still pioneer cast i don't know if they let us change that i'm not sure i haven't actually checked recently but we do have a patreon uh we we really appreciate all the support we get but we especially appreciate the p- support from our patreon uh folks and uh ross and i both got to see a little thing that's been in the works for a while here that might be going out to our patrons you you, you did see that email right uh yes I'm gonna say, I don't want to I'm thinking about just not telling them what it is and just sending it to them how do you how do you like that idea I love it yeah uh, I showed it to Todd yesterday Todd Anderson and he loves it our sponsor actually had a really good response today through email to it so it's something we've been in the works for a few months uh, for y'all that have been supporting the show especially since day one you know a lot of the people that have been here for a while we really appreciate y'all and uh, you'll have some cool stuff in the mail relatively soon so you might be getting something from us rec- uh, soon where we're like hey we need your uh, shipping address. For y'all, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, that's gonna be it for this week's episode. One of my favorite episodes every what, like three months? Three months, yeah. Every three months is one of my favorites. I uh, had a lot of fun doing this for y'all today. Uh, make sure you send us some more comments and stuff on Twitter and in the Discord if you think we missed some stuff or if we got it exactly right, like you know, we always do. So, anyway, we'll see y'all next week.